0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, December 20th, 843 661 is our number. Good morning, No Shot Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Will you indulge me for just a bit? Just a couple of minutes here. We got big news, and we'll get to the very big news. The bigger than the bigly news in American <laughs> politics well, involves for sure. Cheeto Jesus. I'm um, speaking to Jesus. We got birthdays around the corner, right? Monday. Monday. Um, Is a celebration of the birth of Christ. Um, If you're a Christian, that is the center of your universe. If you aren't, he's a long-haired zealot that caused a bunch of trouble back in the day, and the Romans had to deal with him, but the Romans tend to deal with um, those zealot prophets who profess to be God Almighty. Um, Anyway, I want to go to NIL one second, because I had an interesting conversation yesterday with a Clemson insider. Oh. A Clemson insider. Okay. Uh, I don't have many close friends that are Clemson insiders. They believe that that I'm a spy, and I've always suspected they may be. I'm um, spying. When they say, hey, man, what's going on over there on the dark side? Nothing. What's going on over there on the orange side? Nothing. Um, you know what I mean? It's like you, you've seen two dogs sniff one another. <laughs> right. It's like, what do you know? Nothing. What do you know? <laughs> nothing. Um uh okay uh it smells, I'll, I'll, yeah. it smells like nothing yeah, it smells like nothing there you go or not um anyway uh so, so i'm talking to a clemson insider yesterday and i think we got to a point in our conversation where we weren't in our spy mode you know what i mean and he was, here's what he began Are you ready what you guys spending on nil over there <laughs> i don't know what you guys spending on nil over there i don't know okay let's stop with this let's stop with the sniffing. You know what you're spending, and I know what we're spending. So we kind of, i um, confided. I won't share the number publicly, but we confided, and and he knows. I mean, he, I'm sure he knows, and 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 I know. Um, so the number that we're both spending pales to the number that the elite programs are spending in an aisle. And you know, we the the conversation kind of went down the road of, um, I'm in Alabama and Texas and Texas A and M and Georgia and I mean, it, it's it's everybody except Carolina and Vanderbilt, the SEC. Um, I mean, the ACC would be different. They're not they're not confronting $10 billion dollar NIL budgets of the ACC like South Carolina is in the SEC. And my Clemson buddy said, "Of course we aren't." I mean, you know, Pitt's not spending ten million. Wake Forest isn't spending ten million. Duke isn't spending ten million. In other words, the list of ACC schools not spending ten million is longer than the list that is or are. The list of the SEC not spending $10 million annually on NIL is much longer than the list not spending um, $10 million. And then you throw in a Michigan, an Ohio State, a Southern Cal, um, some of the other schools. Um, but, but here's where we landed. And I want to get your take on this, uh, Rev. You, you're a Gamecock. Josh mm-hmm. probably doesn't care about this as much as, as you would. Um, we've agreed that the, the problem was, the problem had been, uh, the student athlete had no leverage. I mean, they were generating enormous revenues and so they had no leverage to capture any of the return on the investment that they were contributing on the field. The pendulum yep. swung too far to one side. It's the wild, wild west. I mean, it's the, um, no holes barred. It's, um, transfer every year, transfer in the middle of the year, sell yourself to the highest bidder. I mean, it's, um, it's wilder than the NFL. I mean, kids now have more liberties, freedoms, and, uh, and abilities to capitalize on their skill than they probably do in the NFL. We hope, college football fans hope, that eventually we find an equilibrium or a place of equilibrium. We know the student athlete was getting screwed. We know they're having too much leverage in the, the, you know, for the common good of the game. And we're hoping in the next year or two, um, I'm the fans of small government will probably have to entrust a certain responsibility to government, maybe state, maybe federal government um, because the NCAA is a sanctioning body and they've screwed it up since the get-go. I mean, they really, they're the ones that brought about all this problem. So, so we ended up k- kind of talking about, okay, I'm not angry at the kid. I mean, I don't know how you're angry at the kid. The kid didn't screw the game up. The kids never run the game. I mean, the kid was basically an indentured servant to the game. I understand they got a scholarship and the scholarship value was commiserate with the the proportional revenue generated when coaches, and you've heard me say this, when a coach made a half million, assistant coach made 70000 and the kid got a scholarship, fair enough, fair enough. Everybody's contributing, and everybody's benefiting somewhat proportionally. All of a sudden, Nick Saban signs a $10 million contract. The university collects a, a part of a billion-dollar television uh, deal, and you're like, well, who's getting screwed in this thing? Looks like a kid might be. So all of a sudden, the NIL lawsuit, the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit, and the, um, the floodgates open, the 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 pendulum swings from just screwing the kid to the wall to the kid having far too much leverage. But but the majority now now I'll say this. The not so informed fan believes the kid is causing all this problem. The more informed fan knows the history of the NCAA and their unwillingness to allow the kid to participate in the revenue stream that they were creating or they were largely creating. Here's where the, the, the Gamecock and Tiger fan base are having problems. You ready? And I can speak for both because I talked to a buddy of mine who is very much an insider, very plugged in at Clemson. He said that the donor class and the fan base are, are a bit upset that the university, the college athlete, let's say football, the college football player generates enormous revenue. The university receives that enormous revenue. The university is kind of sort of asking the fans to pay a little more to compensate the player. And most Gamecock and Tiger fans believe paying the player, I mean, if that's the new norm, that's the responsibility of the university. I mean, that's not the fan base's responsibility. If you all want to cook up a deal and give us points, if we give the IpTay or the Gamecock club, I'm cool with that. I Mm -hmm. mean, okay, that's 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 fair enough. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, if you want to make a contribution in the name of NIL, right. But, but it gets points and it get better seats and better parking and it goes to your tally, okay, fair enough. But, but today where it is, they're asking the fan base to give exclusive of their normal contributions to pay players. I mean, you call it name, image, and likeness. You call it what you like. It's called paying players. I mean, that's what it's about. It's not a name, image. Very few college football players have enormous value on name, image, and likeness. I mean, they just don't. What, 2%? one or 2% of college football players today have true market value. And I'm talking about, you know, to to, to, to market, uh, I mean, I'm thinking about a Southern, Bojangles. Yeah, to endorse sure products, But I, mean, I, I, I know that Gamecocks and Tiger players have had deals with Bojangles. Bojangles is kind of a Southern, um, you know, fast food restaurant. And I know they signed a couple of Clemson players, a couple of Gamecock players. Okay, there's some value there in name, image, and likeness. But the majority of these players are just, I mean, they, they've got a, um, they're a pretty good free safety. The SEC, it's worth this much. They're a pretty good wide receiver. The ACC, it's worth that much. They're pretty good. I mean, Clemson would be a national program, so you got to look at them a little bit differently. Clemson's not butting heads with Duke and Wake Forest for recruits. I mean, Clemson's butting heads with Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina for recruits. I mean, they're an SEC school, whether they're in the, the league or not. But I think it was very it was very encouraging me to know that the game, because I've talked to a lot of Gamecock fans who have the ability to give, and they're saying to themselves and me, look, I want to win. I mean, I, I'm tired of mediocrity. I want to win. This is our chance to, chance to reimagine our program. But, but the university's got to kick in. Right. But I mean, the right. university can't collect their share of a billion-dollar TV I mean, deal.
1: I Yeah, right. I, as a donor, don't get to participate in those revenues coming from, you know, whatever the TV deal is, from ESPN or whatever. So,
0: yeah. It's up to them to kick in, not me. They are generating enormous revenues for the fan base or the university? For the university. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I don't get a the university collects those enormous revenues. That's right. They don't and share they, that with me. And the university says, yeah, but, I mean, we, we, we can't take any of our money and pay the players. We've got to get a separate pot of money, a separate kitty over here. Hmm. And, and I'm telling you, if that doesn't get addressed sooner than later, we're going to do permanent damage to this game. I'm convinced of that. There's a miscommunication about who's to blame. Some believe the players are to blame. Some believe the NCAA is to blame. I'm beginning to believe there's some blood on the school's hands by not integrating themselves into this process, forcing legislation that says, hey, we're the ones that collect the revenue. We need to be a part of compensating these players in whatever fashion imaginable. I've heard some scuttlebutt from some insiders about salary caps, and, and I would be for that. Um, I mean, it, somebody asked me, I think, yesterday or the day before, because they knew I'm dabbling in that. They said, hey, what is Texas budget? I said, whatever it needs to be. What do you mean? Well, whatever it needs to be. Well, what does that mean? Well, the coach goes to whomever he goes to in Longhorn Nation and says, hey, there's this five-star defensive lineman that wants to leave Southern California, but he wants this much money. Well, write him a check. I mean, if you think he makes us better, write him a check. I, I, can, I can attest to that Gamecocks and Tigers ain't doing that. I mean, they're budgeting. They're looking at positions and allocating and dispersing funds accordingly. you got Texas, Texas, A&M, and about six or eight others that just say, well, write him a check. I mean, if, if he's that good and we need him on our roster, you know, I'll – um. I'll sell an oil well. <laughs> I'll sell some of this cowboy cat collection, cowboy boot collection I got. We'll take care of it. You don't worry about it. You'll get the players. We'll get them. We'll get them paid. And it's just, I mean, it's it's going to create more in, I mean, college football's got a parity problem anyway, and it's going to create more, more uh, just imbalance and yeah. who has a chance to win championships yeah, I don't like it. and, uh, and who does not. It's
1: messing it up.
0: It, it's, it's really, but it's not, the, I don't think you blame the kid. No, I mean no. I, I don't think you blame. the I, I, kid I blame at all.
1: the NCAA. I think there was a way they could have.
0: But but who is the NCAA? I
1: mean the, the NCAA is the members ins- member right, of institutions, the members.
0: Yeah. and they've abused the privilege of collecting enormous revenues off literally the back of young student athletes, and and you know throwing up a bone called a scholarship. And we just got to revisit I think if players
1: that. got some sort of stipend and this is, you know, revisionist. You, if you could, would have, could have, should have, right. If you'd
0: given an inch, you would have been forced to give a mile.
1: but if they would have given, you know, some money to the players, give them a reasonable stipend for, you know, while well, they what's were in reasonable,
0: school. I mean, I've heard numbers. What's reasonable, <sighs> Josh, what should, I mean, you'd be a good one to ask this because you don't keep up with this. You're not passionate about it. What, what should a really good college football player be paid who generates or is part of generating I mean the, the player doesn't generate the revenue, the team does. But the team's not a team without the players. Right. What should a pretty good college football player in the in the Clemson, South Carolina realm, what should that player get paid annually
2: mm, to play that game? What he's worth?
0: Yeah, but I mean I understand <laughs> that. I mean Uh
2: I don't know. I mean you've got I, a literally, number. I know nothing about football. Is it I... more or less than a hundred thousand dollars a year? Less. Pro, uh, okay. I would say more. I was gonna say two million. What I mean, aren't they? I mean, aren't the coaches making like fifty? You you got an oil whip? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I'm he, not gonna pay he, him. But but he
0: said two million. That leads. Josh had not come clean with us. Josh is apparently independently wealthy. Barely. Get that boy Gamecock shirt. <laughs> yeah. What would turn him into a? Fan. Do you mean
2: the bare minimum for each? No, I'm just player. talking about
0: the average salary. And, and, and this is
2: college now. To We're me,
0: talking. the number seventy-five grand. But I mean, that, that's kind of the number. See, my, my number I'm thinking
2: was, of like advertisement deals and stuff.
0: Well, I mean, okay, there may be a kid or two that that, that brings that to the table. There's no doubt. There may be, a, you know, a five-star quarterback that goes to Texas and, you know, he's the best thing. Arch Manning, you know, What? what I mean, he brings that Manning name and that Manning brand. But, okay, he would be uniquely different. The majority of kids aren't worth three, four $400,000 a year. They just aren't. I mean, I just – see, see, my them,
1: number would have been more like, you know, 50000 something like that. But seventy-five is not you're, crazy. You're right, right. Or in the same ballpark as far as that goes. And remember, this is a college student who's also getting the the scholarship education. They're putting in the work and they're driving, you know, the entertainment value for the fans. So there's value there. But I think, you know, maybe about 50 to 75,000, but then not have had the restrictions on the players to say you can't go do an endorsement deal with a local car dealer or a restaurant right because then you actually you can supplement that with money
0: that your name image and likeness actually creates what your market value is exactly um the five-star running back at clemson i'm mean, going to get 75 from the universe 50 from the university because that's what they can afford and that's fits the salary cap but he can go do a deal with bojangles if he, if he chooses if he has that market value that he brings um to the table okay we got nil done okay. unless do we have a call we do um you want to go there you'll take a break josh you're the producer boss people are in town uh oh
2: well, in that case let's take a break we'll tony, take a break take a on. break <laughs>
0: take a break on in timely fashion hold, hold on caller as josh says hold on caller we'll get to you uh, and we get to you now but the bosses are in town take a break back in a few 843-661-0937 our number someone's on the phone let's go there
1: tony and florence good morning
0: Morning, guys.
3: Uh, I'm very interested in your take probably about the Colorado State Supreme Court ruling, Uh, but real quick on the uh, previous segment, I think the universities don't want to pay these players because once they start giving out paychecks, then they become employees. And then you have to do insurance and disability and workers' compensation, and
4: then the universities become more
5: liable for the
4: health of the player. So I
0: think that's why if they can keep it as a donation –
5: then the responsibility won't be there for the university. See, Tony, and and what
0: what I've advised, and I mean, I've talked to some of these folks, what I've advised is, okay, keep the collective in part or keep it in place because it does give you the insulation to not, I mean, you're going to have an antitrust case sooner or later and you're going to end up with, uh, you know, the player being an employee of the university and overtime pay and health insurance and, you know, payroll taxes and all these other things. But if the university were to fund The collective, and the collective doles the money out. They're not directly employed by the university. I've always said keep Garnet Trust in place, keep whatever Clemson's collective in place, but the university's got to fund it to some degree. The fans aren't going to keep doing this. I mean, I, I hear this over and over and over again, but you're right. The last thing you want is that kid being directly employed by that university, but the university can fund the collective, and then the collective, you know, dole out the money to the kid. That creates that insulation. I totally
3: agree. And, and I appreciate you guys. We li- I listen to you every day. And hope you guys have a Merry
4: Christmas and a Happy New Year.
0: Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank it. You. Same to you. And we'll get to, um, yeah, for sure, we'll get to Colorado. I've got a, a page full of notes here of things that um, I bet you do. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild what happened. Anyway, let's go to the call. And then we'll, uh, and then we'll kind of move down the road of politics.
1: Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning.
5: Good morning, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Uh, uh, I've had a blast these last couple Christmases being uh, Santa Claus and uh, old kids or something. <laughs> something. But I, I didn't call about that, though, Ken. I, I'm actually I'm behind. I'm, this is about yesterday. Uh, unfortunately, I don't get to listen as much as I used to. And I heard you talking about conspiracy theories yesterday morning. You were talking about the the uh, Kennedy assassination and uh i know you mostly read nonfiction stuff because you want to read something that matters and i on the other hand uh would rather read stuff just fiction it's, it's just less stressful um but i read a lot of stephen king and um uh, not all of his stuff is about monsters and evil and weird stuff but there's one that, that you might would be interested in if you ever want to jump into a a, a non-fi- i mean a a, a fiction novel uh, it's called uh 112263 and um it's, a, it's about a, a fellow – and this is Stephen King. It's not really a horror at all, but it's definitely kind of science fiction. But uh, it's all about a guy that finds a portal through time back to 1958, and uh, he's able to go back in time, and his whole purpose is he believes if Kennedy had lived, the world would be a much better place. And so he goes back from like, 1958 and, and works up to that day, trying to find out where Oswald is and so forth. And uh, I mean, there's more to, I'm, I'm simplifying it, of course, but um, he ends up doing it, and then he's able to go back through the portal of time to see what happened and what the world was like. And the last chapters of the book are, are <laughs> really interesting um, as to, it didn't end well, um, and he came to realize that it was best that Oswald and or whoever else may have been involved, um, just went ahead and took him out because him living would have changed the world as we know it um and it, but it's, it's it's a it's an interesting book, and I know it 's probably not your your thing, but you were talking about conspiracy theories that made me think about that book and and it 's one of my favorite uh king novels um and again it doesn 't have the you know the vampires or the ghosts or the haunted hotels or whatever he normally has or haunted cars and crazy dogs um but it's a, good, it's a pretty long read, but once you get to the end, his theory as to what would have happened had Kennedy lived, uh, including Reagan being elected in 76 and Clinton in 88, but not Bill, but Hillary instead, um, and all the things that transpire in America. It, it, again, if you want to take a break from uh, stuff that matters and, and just entertain yourself with some – oh, there's actually a mo- – I'll tell you what, easier yet. I think Netflix put it in a uh, like an eight-part movie, like a series – um, not nearly as good as the book, but you get the same effect. Anyway, I, you were talking about the, the conspiracy yesterday, and I said I'm gonna I'm let Ken know about this. And anyway, just something when you're not too awful busy.
0: Thank you, Boudreau, Appreciate that. Eleven twenty two sixty three. I mean, they were talking about yesterday. I think we were talking about JFK, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Um, my mom k- kind of reflected as I grew up and got older. Um, I was born twelve eighteen sixty three. Late December back in 63, oh, what a night. Um, <laughs> Familiar song. Yeah, 11, 22, 63. So my mom was eight months pregnant with her firstborn child. And she was talking about the anxiety. And she was real concerned about her pregnancy. You know, being late, never never having a kid. I was her firstborn. Um, Kennedy gets killed. That was a big moment in American history. Obviously, a big moment in American history. Don Henley, ended the Innocents, believe it was that big a moment. Uh, some of the, Some of the context of that song. Is about, um, is about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And I do believe, um, to the conspiracy theory, part of this, and Josh jumped in um, very willingly yesterday, kind of interesting, Bolt, Dr. Will Bolt, has gotten comfortable enough as a member of academia and esteemed professor to kind of go down the road of. Uh, and I, I think what we were asking, Josh, is the human, is the American mind more liberated now because it's a bit mainstreamy to believe in some of these conspiracy theories. One of my dear friends will debate politics from time to time and he will we'll talk about Oswald and JFK and, you know, I'm um, acting alone. And was it a conspiracy? And did the mafia, did LBJ, did the government have a hand in this? And I'm always recounting what happened. I said, Hey man, he shot him with a bolt action rifle. And, and I list the things that make it so unbelievable if he did indeed act alone, I don't know if he did or not. I mean, I have no idea. I tend to believe he didn't now. Uh, I, I tend to believe it's, I believe, I, I believe it's more unbelievable to believe that he acted alone <laughs> than it is to believe that there was some sort of conspiracy there. But I'll always <laughs> go to my buddy and I'll say, hey, man, it was a bolt-action rifle from a, you know, a, a, a window out of a depository, and he always ends it with, Carl was moving. Carl was moving away from him. You know, and it's just uh, I I just think in theory, Josh, the human, the American mind has been somewhat liberated in the last 10 or 12 years because conspiracy theories are more accepted in in the mainstream now. And I do believe this. Um, I guess this is a, you know, a pat on on anybody's back who will or will it. I think it takes a higher degree of intellect. To sort through conspiracy theories, I think some people shut the door on a conspiracy theory because they don't have confidence in their intellectual abilities. I mean, they're afraid there's something out there that they won't fully understand, and they kind of shut the door. I don't know, man. I mean, what was it, the Warren Commission? You know, it said X, and that's good enough for me. I mean, I'm not going any further down that road. Maybe we're afraid of our human intellect, our abilities, our intellectual capacities. I mean, maybe. I mean, I had a coach tell me one time, the thing that scares you most is your potential. I mean, that's what scares you to death. You know, it, it's easy to be average. It's hard to be exceptional. It's hard to take that ability and, and live up to its potential. But, but the human brain has enormous capacity. And I think conspiracy theories require a higher degree of thinking. Uh, I, I've got this crazy idea. I think sarcasm is, is a kind of a, um, do you get sarcasm or not? I mean, I think that's a weird sign of intellect. I mean, I do. I I know some of my friends, and I put things out that are sarcastic, and they take them serious. And I say, "Dummy, dummy, I didn't mean it that way." I mean, I meant it sarcastically. And and I'll say something. I mean, I can be extremely sarcastic. Probably. I mean, Rez says sometimes I just go. I'm like, "Wow, well, I don't know what he's trying to say?" Um, there, I get it because I'm a genius. Uh, some of the right, other, and some, I'm not. Some of the some of the others mere mortal struggle yeah. with my with my sarcasm. But no, I I just only, I want I want I want I'm going to get to Josh here in a bit because he's. I mean, Josh has led me to believe that he's inclined to kind of follow the, the, the down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. I mean, you've led me to believe that on, on multiple occasions. Um, some that I don't endorse. That he um, gives the time of day. Take a break. Back in a few. Um, eight four three six six one zero nine three. Now, almost I had an idea at the um. last second and I almost did it. and I didn't do it because I don't think it would have come off well. I was going to act like I was um the public announcer at an airline. And I was going to say Springsteen and De Niro Airlines are departing, <laughs> uh, you know, at such and such. Imagine the arrogance of a human being that believes he needs to announce to the, to the general public that he's going to leave America if a certain guy gets elected president. I mean, imagine how much, what, whether it's conscious or subconscious. I mean, th- there is an arrogance. It, it's probably a blind arrogance. I'm such and such. And nobody's asked. But I'm announcing that I'm leaving America if a certain person is elected president of the United States. I mean, I get when American Airlines does it. I get one Southwest Airlines—they're in the flying business. I mean, you need to know when their planes yeah, are leaving. That information
1: or not. is important to that. But, point. but
0: unless I unless I miss the Springsteen De Niro Airlines, who gives a rat's ass where you go, when you go, and how you get there? Just sing and act, man. That's what you guys are good at. Write and sing music, and by the way, and act. I mean, you guys are really good at that. Just do that. Just go. Yeah. Just go. Don't well, he, don't tell me. Yeah, I don't care. But here's what I'd rather them do. I'd rather De Niro act because he's really good yeah, at it. Right. I'd rather Springsteen write music and perf- he's really good at that. But no, they fancy themselves as social conscious warriors to the point of having to announce to the American people what they might do next. Southwest Airlines leaves Terminal 6 at 1245. Springsteen Airlines leaves Terminal 9 at no. I
1: mean, I uh, guess it makes them feel better to say stuff I, like I that, but what are they trying to do? They're trying to convince you, oh, uh, well, you know, I like Springsteen, so I guess I was considering voting for Trump, but I won't if it's going to make him leave the country.
0: I, I don't have any idea what they're... Act. Just act, man. Right. What, what, what does Seinfeld say about the pilot? Just end up where it says on the ticket, man. I mean, right. just do your thing. You do that really well. Just keep doing that. Let's go to the phone.
1: Tim in Hartsville. Good morning.
0: Good morning, Jim. Um, on a in the. The players,
6: I think the student that actually is just a student is going to feel the most effect with tuition increase. Uh, My daughter attends Anderson. They've decided to
0: add a football team. Her tuition went up almost $1,300 a semester. Hmm. To fund the football program. on the student who's just a student. Gotcha. Appreciate that. Yeah, Anderson would be a heavy lift in football. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. It seems that crap always runs downhill. I mean, it does. You know, um, they're going to figure out a way to make the grunts pay for it. The grunts would be the students. Um, I've seen some troubling numbers out of higher education. Um, fewer young people consider a four-year degree to be as valuable as the families and themselves are being asked to to pay for it. And once you lose the value proposition, I mean, there's a lot of marketing that, that's involved in this. But But I do believe that we're getting to a point now where a lot of Americans – wonder whether higher education is a wise investment or not. Um, some universities are doing a good job at, you know, um, emphasizing programs that lead to gainful employment and lucrative careers. Um, it's a little bit like, you know, should higher education include courses like Shakespearean theater and Greek literature? I mean, I think so. Cause I think well-roundedness is important, but I think, you know, the, um, what, what is it? The STEM, you know some of the um some of the fundamentals of preparing you for a better way and a better path forward. Uh, that that would be the the place I would focus and concentrate on on most eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. It 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 seems like recently, and by recently I'm talking about in the last several years. Of all, you know, I've I've almost become accustomed to saying, "Hey, I'm sitting behind the microphone with this having happened the first time ever." I mean, I never imagined that that would happen. I never imagined we didn't dot, uh, you know, a, a sitting or former president. We did, you know, and we've blown past that. I mean, we've obliterated um, that. We did that 90, I, 91 I, I, times. I level with you guys. I mean, I expect the unexpected. I mean, I really and truly do. I mean, I've come to a point in my life where things that I normally consider just completely and totally, there's no way that happened. I mean, there, there's just no way. Um, I never imagined that a court I mean, when Michigan and Minnesota, and they're pretty liberal. I mean, their courts, their state supreme courts, are pretty liberal. But even they said, ah, we can't do that." I mean, we just—you can't, you you can't not allow a group of people to vote for who they choose to vote for. Um, but the Democrats did it in Colorado. I mean, they absolutely did And Here's my language. You ready? I mean, this is my take on it. Um, the Democrat Party at stake to claim to permanent control of the federal government, regardless of the will of the people. But in essence, that's the way I'm characterizing this. The Democrat Party, it's a Democrat court, Democrat state, the Democrat Party has staked a claim to permanent control of the federal government, regardless of the will of the people. If you are a Republican in Colorado and want to vote for Donald Trump, you can't. I mean, I guess you could write in his name. So someone sent me a text last night saying, well, this has nothing to do with the general. Of course it does. I mean, if Trump's not allowed to be on the primary ballot, he's certainly not going to be allowed to be on the on the general election ballot. I mean, a court, and this is why Jefferson never wanted the courts to be co equal branches of government. He wrote a lot about it. I mean, Jefferson opined a lot about his concern, these unelected, Judiciary activist. I mean, he saw this coming, what, 200-some-odd years ago. I mean, Jefferson knew that these people couldn't be trusted, uh, that they're not answerable to the public. Now, now I don't have any idea, and I probably should have done this because I thought about Jim and the crusade he's on about electing judges. How does the Colorado Supreme Court get elected? I mean, is it the General Assembly? Is it the governor? Is it the, you know, the will of the people? I don't have any idea. Um, I mean, it's going to get overturned. I mean, don't don't. I mean, there's no way it does not get overturned in the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be Trump's friend. Now the media will argue, well, I mean, that's what happens when Trump appoints, you know, the three justices, and they're brainwashed and they're on the take and all this. No, I mean, it's the absurdity of this. I mean, if it were not so scary, it would be something to make you angry. You should not be angry about this. You should be distraught, concerned, and almost afraid of what the Democrats are willing to do to try, and some Republicans. I mean, I've not heard a large outcry. I didn't see Mitt Romney have a news conference talking about how concerned he was uh, by what the Colorado Supreme Court did. I've not seen Mitch McConnell have a press conference. I mean, he's real concerned about Ukrainian funding, and he's real concerned about, you know, Romney has a, a press conference a week with the liberal media about Trump being a threat and danger to democracy, but I don't know that Romney's had a press conference expressing his concern. I mean, the most recent presidential nominee not named Donald Trump should immediately have a press conference and, and, and bring awareness and, a, and a, a certain alarmism to what's happened in Colorado. But the Democrat Party has shown you exactly who they are and they have staked a claim to permanent control of the federal government regardless of the will of the people. The, the, the U.S. Supreme Court will act, I think, expeditiously. I think they act sooner than later because they understand the calendar. I, I read something last night. might have been on CNN. Um, might have been on Twitter. I read something. might have been CNN's Twitter site um, about the federal government doesn't, I mean, the, you know, the states' rights activists, you know, those crazy conservatives. I mean, they're always arguing states have a right to do what states choose to do. Well, I mean, I, I'll agree with that. But Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is a federal question. I mean that that's a federal question, and and you can't say well I mean the government the federal courts don't need to get involved in state elections. Well I mean in 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 the Reynolds Sims case, the one man one vote case, it overturned. Remember I've talked a lot about you know South Carolina would probably better serve today if we had one county one senator. I mean they we're going to get twenty percent of the counties with eighty percent of the senators. That's going to be kind of a um, I mean it's going to be complicated to govern in that fashion. Um, so, so the Reynolds Sims case is a precedent of the federal government saying to the state, you can't run elections that way. I mean, you just can't do it that way. One man, one vote. Griggs and Sims. So there's absolute precedent here. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is a federal question. We're, we're going to get into that, but I, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, I mean, I think the big loser is Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. I mean, I think that, you know, that's a bad day for them.
1: Did you see Vivek's response? I have last not. Night? I have yeah, not. Yeah, he came out and said he will withdraw from the Colorado primary if this stands, and he he demanded that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis do the same.
0: Well, and if they're smart, they will. Right. I mean, if they're smart, they will. Um, I've got a theory on New Hampshire: frat boy meets go girl go. I mean, that that's kind of what's happening <laughs> in New Hampshire: frat boy met go girl go, and they're off and running. Where ah, who knows? Take a break. Back in a few. What do you do when one party's candidate or incumbent has historic low approval ratings? You try to take the guy off the ballot that you think may have a chance to beat <laughs> him in Colorado. Uh, Flyover conservative podcast host and political analyst, David Wided is with us. David, good morning. How are you?
6: Um, good morning. How are you doing?
0: We are doing well. Kind of an interesting morning this morning, the conservative talk radio world. Um, but there's no denying that. That the polling has not been kind to President Biden. what do we make of um, the approval ratings um, the the right track, wrong track numbers and some of these latest national polls?
6: Well I, I think if I think a lot of us we're going to be honest with ourselves uh, you know a month, two months, three months ago looking at this trend because it's not one anomaly it's a steady it's worse than than now they're lower now than after the Afghan withdrawal. You know, and some of the biggest, you know, blunders that really caught national attention. Every once in a while, something happens that's so big that everybody knows about it. Everybody at the water cooler is talking about it. When those kind of events happen that are so one-sided and negative, you think it can't be beat. And his approval rating has continued to drop. It's at a 20-year low. And currently, uh, Biden's numbers on approval rating are are lower than Kamala Harris, which – you know, nobody really thought possible. So I think it's the it's the trend that's hurting him worse than anything else. If you were to ask me, I brought up two three months ago. I don't think a lot of people would have would have thought he would still be in this race in spite of that trend. That the advisors, that the money, uh, the donors, uh, the party as a whole, and I know that there's been pressure on him, but he's been able to fend that off. And that's that's what's kind of surprising. So for me, it's it's alarming he's still in the race with with these kind of of numbers Fox News, uh, Monmouth poll, across the board the aggregate puts him at a, like a you know 30, 36% uh, approval uh, rating. Uh, he's got a 68% dissatisfied on a current Fox News poll that, that just came out as well. So it, it, a lot of people are frustrated and uh, it's the trend that's working against him but he's still in the race which for me is baffling. So I think you hit the nail on the head. let's just continue to go after the most, you know, President Trump, Donald Trump is about 70%, uh, uh, of, of the Republican, you know, nominee. If they can take him out because he's, he's by far and by far ahead of everybody else. So if they can put more pressure on him, that's about the only hope. If you can't run faster, you got to trip the guy you're racing.
0: But David, do you really believe? Cause I do. And, and a year ago, you couldn't convince me of this. Uh, it was kind of radio fodder and it was good, uh, you know, kind of political theater, but, but, the Washington Post ran a 5,000-word, um, I, I guess, incrimination of of Joe Biden, the Biden family. To me, when the Post does that, it's kind of sort of the green light for let's begin to consider whether he's the best candidate to run in November 2024 or not. Do you believe there's some of that happening right now within the Democrat Party?
6: I think that there is, and when you start to see even comedians kind of get the green light to, to, to jab A little more directly when you see snl comedy shift a little bit all those things are coordinated anything you see on a screen anything you see in print at that level has been green-lighted you know there's not there's not going to be a a free-thinking writer at the times that's going to go on a limb on his own and this is you know it's very coordinated and so when you do see that there is that kind of pressure the problem is you know i live in kansas city you know i don't care if we got frustrated with patrick mahomes throwing some interceptions or kind of what would ever happen to the crowd. You look at the bench, there's nobody else to put in. And so I think that's the biggest problem that they're running against when they've paraded a few people out to gain traction. Clearly, uh, uh, Gavin Newsom was trying to get a foothold. He was you know, going on Sean Hannity. He's making a lot of appearances. And I think probably in his mind he still is. But nothing really shifts until the money shifts. And as long as the donors are still behind him and they got a big fat war chest in the Democratic Party, as long as the money's still with Biden, the nomination will still be with Biden. And the only thing that could possibly take him out, which, you know, isn't improbable, is is a health challenge. You know, him stepping aside due to that, but that could not appear as the party moving too much. He'll he'll have to bow out and save face.
0: Well explained. David, thank you for your time. Have a great day and Merry Christmas. You too. Thank you so much. That's, uh, that's kind of an interesting perspective from a podcast, a fellow podcast host, 843 eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. And I'll use the Mahomes analogy. I'll go a step further. If Patrick Mahomes struggles for a week or two or three, there's reason to believe he can rally. I mean, you've seen the guy do it before. There's a reason to believe, okay, this is a rough patch. I mean, he's in a bad streak. He's made some mistakes that he normally doesn't make. He's thrown some balls into coverage. He normally doesn't throw in the coverage. But we've seen him be spectacular. I mean, we've seen him be an MVP um, caliber quarterback. There's nothing about Biden that leads you to believe he's going to rally. I mean, there's just nothing there. It's a little bit like, I mean, Rev and I talk baseball some, and he loves the Braves, and you're talking about this player and that player and another player that there's, there's a kid in a farm system somewhere or on a high school roster somewhere, college roster somewhere, throwing a baseball 98 miles an hour. But his record's two and seven. And he gets drafted the first round. And he goes, a baseball guy. Why do you draft a guy who's two and seven in the first round? Because he throws 98. You can't teach that. <laughs> you can't coach that. I mean, the kid throws the baseball 98 miles an hour. He's going to get all the opportunity in the world to make it to the big leagues. He has something that very few, few people have. Biden doesn't have any of that. I mean, there's something very unique about Trump. Love him, hate him, he's unique. There's something very unique about Barack Obama. Love him, hate him, he's very unique. There's a chance for them to find that, that, that whatever it is that, that allows them to rally. Biden had bad spells. Excuse me, Obama had bad spells with, um, with approval ratings. Obama, Reagan had bad spells with, with, with approval ratings. Every president especially two-term presidents, I mean, it ebbs and flows. It goes up and down, and I think David made an interesting point. The problem with Biden is the consistency of the bad numbers. And the trend. And, and, he, and he's not Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's not an all-star caliber quarterback. He doesn't throw a baseball 98 miles an hour. He's always been average. I mean, on his bad days, he's a dunce. On his best days, he's average. And now he's somewhere between a dunce and average, and he's 80 years old. And in cognitive decline, that's the reality. I mean, that's where we are today. And that's why I believe the Democrats don't think they can beat Trump. So let's get—I mean, if we don't believe we can beat him at the ballot box, let's get him off the ballots. I mean, it stands to—that's their strategy. And at some point in time—and Josh likes this— at some point in time, the Republicans have to return serve. And they have to say, hey, if you're going to cross that line that nobody ever imagined you'd cross— we're going to cross one too, and Joe Biden will not be on the ballot in South Carolina. Joe Biden will not be on the ballot in in um in, in some of the more red states. I think that's when the Democrats pump their brakes a little bit. I mean, they say, "Whoa, those guys won't take it on the chin like Mitt Romney did and like Liz Cheney did." I mean, they're, they're serious now. I mean, they will return serve. I mean, they will go to the extremes that we go to. And I want to read it again. I'm gonna read it over and over and over again today. The 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 line of the what happened yesterday is a reminder and an extreme measure taken by a Democrat Party that has staked its claim to permanent control of the federal government, regardless of the will of its people, regardless of how many Republicans in Colorado or Independents in Colorado that may vote for Donald Trump. A Democrat court said you can't because we've convicted him of a crime that he's never been charged with. I mean, imagine the arrogance. And, and, and this goes back to Jefferson. Jefferson was so concerned about making judiciary a co-equal branch of government because the majority of judges and judiciary activists, he knew were not going to be elected, but rather appointed. And what, what advantage does the voter have over an appointed judge? I guess you could vote for a Republican governor in Colorado. Good luck with that. Let's go to the phone.
1: Jason and Marion, good morning. You're on.
0: Hey, good morning there, Ken and Dave.
6: Ken, I was wondering if you could kind of walk me through and explain the logistics of what Trump says when he he said it a couple times about, you know, he's going to have the largest deportation, you know, in history. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm all for that, but we've just had so, a flood of so many illegals come in. How do you, and then the gutaways, how do you even begin to like know where all these illegals are and go about doing that. And of course, you know, the, it's going to, it's going to try to be, you know, flawed and they'll try to bring up legal cases
0: against him. But do you have any idea of how that even goes about? Thank you, Jason. I mean, from what I've read and what I've gathered, I mean, some of that's politics. I mean, some of that is, is campaign speech. You know, I'm going to be tougher on the border. I'm going to be tougher on illegal immigration. Okay. I mean, uh, how? I mean, I think that's what Jason's asking. I get it. I mean, I, I think you believe that. But what exactly are you going to do? I think what Trump wants to do is convince Congress to prioritize funding the border security. Um, let, let's get more technology at the border. Let's get more National Guard at the border. Let's get more... Um, you know, uh, border patrol members and, and techno in other words, we're, we're, we're a bit dismissive about securing the border. Um, and I think Trump wants to commit assets, by that I mean funding and personnel, to round up people who are here illegally. Uh, from what I've read, he has a quota. He would like to round up 100,000 illegals every six months and send them back to Mexico. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it would be roughly a quarter of a million a year. I mean that that's making headway. If you secure the border and you figure out a way to meet a quota, and the quota is a hundred thousand dollars every, I mean a hundred thousand illegals every six months, but you got to invest in border security. You, you've got you got to make it a priority. I don't know that money's the problem. That the prioritization seems to be the problem. Yeah, you as have far to as stop as the concerned. flow first. But but I think you you've got to you've got to also accept or at the same time that that in politics the spoken word is not an accomplishment, and, and very often candidates get polling data. And the polling says border security is important with the Republican primary voters, and you got to go there. I mean, you got to give them their fancy. you got to tickle their fancy, so to speak. I mean, if there's polling that shows that the Republican voters are, 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 are so distraught by what's happening at our southern border and a Republican candidate does not aggressively address that with the spoken word, he's not a good candidate. But then when, the, when, the, when, the, when, when Jason's follow-up question, okay, what does that mean? What are you going to do? And from what I've read and what I understand, it is a prioritization and it is a commitment of funds that have been withheld by this Congress that basically, by and large, is open border. I mean, let, let's be honest. The majority of Democrats today are open border. Some Republicans are more interested in Ukraine and Israel than they are our southern border. Um I mean there's kind of an amnesty movement in the Republican Party. I'm not I'm not saying it's not warranted or valid or, or shouldn't be debated. Um, but I think Trump has said prioritizing the border, committing more technology and manpower, and rounding up about a hundred thousand illegals every six months. Um, I mean that that's a good start. That that's I mean that those would be metrics and measures that are attainable and the average American voter can easily understand and and believe in. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843 our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone is there.
1: Williams in Orangeburg, listening to WTQS. Good morning.
7: Hey, Ken, um, can, can you tell me about the 14th Amendment, um, paragraph three?
0: Yeah, it, it, it was basically to stop a Confederate who rebelled against the country and insurrected against the federal government from seeking public office or being allowed to run for public office.
7: Okay, what what was it? Oath keeper and um, power boys was sent to of A combination of one hundred and thirty-five
0: years. What was they doing? They're not running for president. They're not on the ballot in Colorado. They're they're not they're not the pro- prohibitive favorite to be elected president of the United States. But um. They didn't take the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers off the ballot. They took Donald Trump off the ballot.
7: Yeah, I understand that. But what I'm saying to you is, it was a, it was not right. It was a insurrection. Well, charge Come him with insurrection,
0: Williams. If you believe it was an insurrection and you're in charge of the um, the penalties and punishments, then then make the charge. He's never been charged with inciting not an insurrection. Yet, He's been yet, accused of yet, it. Man. He ain't been to court yet. Well, he can't go to court, and then they decide what to charge him with. Well, 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 well you will see what happens. Okay, I got one, another thing.
7: What do he mean by saying people from South America, Mexico, Africa,
0: Asian, causing the blood of our country? Is that a white supremacist word? Not to me, it's a pro-American. I mean, you know, when you no, come no, to America, no matter where man, you come that's from. That's right white supremacist. Well, I mean, man. in your, I, I understand you may think it's that. I don't. I think it's a, oh, uh, man, an, man, an, an argument. Question. Well, I mean, you, 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 if you give me a chance, I'll try to, to answer oh, the okay, last right, one. Right, right. I believe that what he means is people from other places, whatever color, creed, ethnicity they may be, have an obligation to assimilate. And, and and adopt some of the American values, respect our traditions, learn our language, come here live legally. under our laws, come here legally would be one of the first things living under our laws is required of. I don't sense any racism or, or, or bigotry in that. I just think when you come to America, you owe the American way uh, an opportunity to try and assimilate. Okay, well, that's what Hitler said, right? Well, I mean, you guys go from Trump to Hitler a lot quicker than I can make that, hey, hey, that connection.
7: Hey, that's what Hitler said. That's where he get getting from. That's what Hitler said about the Jews. Okay, I got one more thing for you, man. Hey, if, you know, all I want is a good election. But we had a fair election in 20. Look what happened. So let the people decide about who's going
0: to be the president. Look what happened in 20. So that don't work. Have a good day. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, let's have a free and fair election. I mean, I'll take my chances with a free and fair election. I mean, does a free and fair election include unsolicited mail-in ballots? No. To me, it doesn't. Does a free and fair election include drop boxes? No. To me, it doesn't. Does a free and fair election include losing the chain of custody between a ballot and And who casted that ballot? No, not to me. It doesn't. I mean, I think that leads to statistical anomalies. And I think that's what we saw happen in 2020. And if the Republican-led legislatures have tightened up some of the screws in Georgia, Trump will win Georgia. If they tighten things up in Arizona Nevada, Trump will win Arizona and Nevada. If they figure out a way to deal with Philadelphia, he has a chance to win in Pennsylvania. Um, I mean, the polling clearly shows that. But, but I, I mean, I may, maybe Williams and I do agree that the way to move forward is to try and secure a free and fair election. I just don't think Democrats honestly believe that. I think they believe that they have an advantage in ballot harvesting. They have an advantage in unsolicited mail-in ballots. They have an advantage in some of the shenanigans that go along with, with elections, and they don't want to lose that advantage. Let's go to the phone.
1: Breeze, good morning. You are on.
3: Racist calling... People are racist. Truth of the matter is, everybody probably has a little bit of racism in them. But anyway, uh, you know, kid, if, if, if I were a judge in Colorado on the Supreme Court and you're my best bud and we're both hardcore Democrats, and I said, hey, kid, I think I will vote to keep Trump off the ballot, what would you tell me? You say, freeze. That's just going to help him. That's a stupid thing to do. So why would they do it if they knew? They had to know that them doing that would actually help Trump. Everything they've done so far under the guise, supposedly, of making people think they're trying to harm him has hurt him, and they know that, and they do that. But, you know, getting back to what you were saying earlier, you've been saying it now for a few months. You say, you know, I almost don't want a Republican president the next four years. And then that's what kind of got me on my feet yesterday, saying, well, Maybe they are maybe they maybe they do want Trump to win maybe they do you know because like I said you know um, maybe they maybe you know after they after they stole the election the last election was a um, with Joe Biden you know if you know that whole story 80 something me votes I mean really and all so after they did that they didn't want people to really say hey man, these guys have got the formula now for stealing elections, so they're going to let Trump win. And I think the reason they wanted to win is kind of because what you were saying. They have got things so messed up right now, on purpose, and then there's no way to fix it. And then after four years of Trump trying to fix it, things probably getting worse, not better. Then they can come back in with, and it gives them four years to find their Patrick Mahomes. Like like the guy said earlier, they really don't have anybody on the bench to come in for Biden, and I don't think they would throw Michelle Obama into this situation. So I think that uh, we need to really look long and hard at the fact that this may actually be a free and fair election, and Trump may actually win. But then the question is, do we benefit from that? Because I think what they'll do is, is after Trump, has four years of them just beating the crap out of him, or maybe killing him and he starts competing. That they, uh, that they daggle, uh, bring in, a yeah, bring in another guy, another Barack Obama, who takes us even further down the path of destruction of leftism. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. So I'll ask you this question. I'll ask Josh and, and Rev, and I'll ask our listeners this. I mean, that, that, that's kind of my theory. I mean, I have theorized, I don't know this to be true i don't know that any theory is true but but i theorize that the republicans need to be careful about what they're asking for because i believe there's a point of no return when it comes to debt there's a point of no return when it comes to commitment to energy i think we made generational mistakes in debt and energy i think some of the others we can we can gloss over i mean you fresh coat of paint here fresh coat of paint there kind of covers up some of the mistakes we made but, but I've said for many years that the fundamentals of energy and the fundamentals of our debt are going to be generational. I mean, one political party, Herbert Hoover, I mean, remember how long it was before a Republican got elected again. Whether it was his fault or not, it didn't matter. Wrong man, wrong time. But, but I believe that, that whomever is in charge of executive policy in the next four years are going to deal with unbelievable challenges in energy and in our debt situation. I mean, that's my theory. Why would you want to be that guy? I mean, why would you want to be the person in the White House when there are no good choices on debt and energy? The the only counter-argument I could make, and I'm good at arguing with myself, the only way I can say, yeah, it'd be worth it, can Trump tear the deep state apart? I mean, if there's no winning recipe on energy, no winning answer on debt, but he, for four years, just completely obliterates normalcy in the administrative state. The careerist class. Those who have basically destroyed the nation from within. I mean, is that a trade worth taking? I mean, is that, is that a risk? In, in other words, if you knew today that there are no good answers on debt, there are no good answers on energy. I mean, they're good answers, but they're going to be unbelievably complicated politically. I mean, it's going to be hard to sell the American people on what we need to do about debt because it's going to require Medicare and Social Security to be totally revamped. Medicaid, now that would be lesser of a concern with Republicans, but Medicare and Social Security are the, you know, they're the sacred cows. And are we willing to go down the road of dramatically, dramatically reforming some of the entitlement programs? I mean, that's the answer to debt. I mean, that's the only answer to that. There is no other answer. I mean, there is no trillion dollar Bitcoin out there that makes the debt magically go away. I mean, that ain't happening. That's impossible. I mean, that's some concoction of these, you know, nuts called modern monetary theorists. Um but but the only reason that it might be worth rolling the dice, if I could look into the future and say, okay, Trump struggled with the debt, he doesn't worry about that anyway. I mean, he's never been a physical conservative. I mean, he calls himself the king of debt, for God's sake. Not me. He calls himself that. Um, And then you've got all this energy uncertainty that that I think, and I'm telling you guys, I guess I know a little more than most, we are desperately in need of energy generation. I mean, we, we are in dire straits when it comes to some of the transformative measures we've done to our energy, and I'm talking about EPA regulations and funding and energy grids. I mean, it's local. It's not just in some of the far fetched places in the world. I mean it's very, very um important here that we have dependable and affordable energy. Not just for residential use, me taking a shower, you brushing your teeth. I'm talking about re- economic development recruitment and, you know, what what sort of energy grid and affordability goes along with that. But
1: but charging if, electric yeah, vehicles.
0: Well then, then that's kind of where <laughs> we sold our soul. I mean it, you know, the the, the the consumers having a lot of um second thoughts about it, but you know, we we've kind of we've gone a long way down the road of throwing fossil fuels under the bus. I don't know how we rectify that. But is it worth, and I'm asking our listeners, is it worth struggling with the debt, struggling with the solutions to our energy problem if Trump can completely dismantle the administrative state?
1: Well, I would also have to consider who would I want in charge in the event. If these challenges you're talking about are going to come to fruition during the next four-year term for the next president, I mean... Who do you want in charge dealing with those issues? But,
0: but who do you want in charge if there are no answers? I mean, who do you want to yeah, fail I mean, at addressing the debt? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, if, if you're Republican— p- Politically, I know exactly what okay. you're saying. Bingo. And, and you got to look at it politically. But, I mean, if you're a Republican, wouldn't you rather a Democrat stand behind a podium and say, hey, here's what we got to do to Social Security. Here's what we've got to do to Medicare. I mean, you're talking about changing lives forever, forever and ever and ever, and it's a necessity. It's not an option. I mean, I don't know where the tipping point is, but we're getting close. Take a break. Back at 843-661-0937, our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there.
1: Jacob in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning,
4: gentlemen. Uh, So, Ken, I I want to respond to your question, right? And
0: and if you you don't mind, can you phrase it again? Man, I've had so many this morning. (laughs) What particular question are you talking about? What about would you rather have? What would you rather? Would you would you want to inherit the problems the next president will inherit? Is that kind of what you're you're asking?
4: Yeah, yeah. So I want to I want to continue that uh, conversation. So um, if Trump becomes president, all right, or let's say any Republican candidate becomes uh, president, they're going to have the same uh, uphill battle, right? It's, it, it doesn't matter, you know, it, as any president is going to have to face the consequences of all these uh, bad decisions made over the past uh, 20, 30 years,
0: correct? 50 years,
4: yes, I agree. 50 years, right, because it's been a long slide. You're right, you're right. So I, I guess what, what I'm, the po- point I'm trying to make is this. Um, you would agree that at some point the, the economy is going to collapse. Correct. It's. I mean, when is that going to happen? Is it going to happen in a year, two years? What do you think about that, Ken? I mean,
0: it, it will collapse. I sure. Mean, I mean, the, the writing's on the wall. The, the, there is a point that the debt becomes such an inhibitor to economic growth that the economy just can't gain any steam, can't gain any moment, and could. And some of the some of the doomsayers say that's when it collapses upon itself.
4: Do you You remember uh, when when the debt was? Uh, I think it was ten trillion dollars. Remember that? And I think that was George Bush was the president back then. Yeah, I do. And everyone was saying, "Oh my gosh, 10 trillion. That we've never seen this. This is good. This is the end here." And then Barack Obama becomes president and he doubles that. And and everyone said, "Oh my gosh, I think it was 19 or 20 trillion dollars. So this is it. It's it's going this is going to collapse everything." Trump becomes president, Biden becomes president. Now we're at what? 34 trillion? When does this end? You know, I think, I think we as Americans have to realize this, this run is, is pretty much over. So I guess my question is, what do we do, Ken? I mean, how do we prepare for the coming crash? I, I, I hear this conversation happening a lot with economists when they have their uh, podcasts and conversations with, uh, you know, other talk
0: show hosts. But, uh, you know, what do we do? How do we prepare for what's coming? Wow. That's an interesting question, and probably a bit above my pay grade. Um, I mean, I played it out in my head. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you a personal example. I mean, I have planned for my life after work differently than I thought I would ten or twelve years ago, because I believe there is a a, a, a diminishing amount of return investments made in our economy will receive as a result of some of the, some of the fundamental issues. We'll have to address regarding debt, um, guys. Republicans believe in certain principles and values. Democrats believe in in certain principles and values. And I think there's a fair debate to be had about marginal tax rates and you know um, how much of someone's health insurance should the government subsidize and how big the safety net should be and how many people should we allow to fall um, through the cracks. I I'll give that. I mean, I, I really as a conservative Republican, I accept that government at some level has to be a safety net and it has to make sure that only so many people fall through the cracks. There's accounting for the common good and I buy into that. But, but I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, two plus two never equals five, five plus five never equals 12. I mean, it always equals 10. I mean, that we talked about yesterday, the cathedral being squishy and, and in the abstract and we're not certain exactly where it stops and begins and ends and, and begins again. But but we know the hard science is. I mean, this bridge holds X number of cars, or it doesn't. I mean, you know, the 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 hard science of engineering comes into. Well, I mean, math's hard science. I mean, it's not squishy. Two plus two didn't equal four on Monday, five on Wednesday, four again on Thursday, and three the next Monday. I mean, it is what it is. And I think the the body politic will at some point in time have to adjust because and the. the the catalyst to all this, Josh, will be the lack of demand of a dollar. I mean, when the government begins selling debt, and the Fed says, "Hey, we're not really in a place to buy any more of your debt," go to some of the foreign markets. So the foreign markets say, "Hey, we're 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 concerned about your financial standing," and the public, and I'm talking about you know Joe Sixpack looking for a yield on buying a bond. Uh, and he says, "Look, I just don't think that's a smart investment. I mean, that's what we've had going our way for a long time. We're in bad shape, but we're not in as bad shape as some of the other some of the other nations. I'll predict that some of the some of the developed nations will begin addressing their debt in meaningful um fashion. But to the caller's point about what the other side looks like, I don't have any idea. I mean, I, I can't begin to fathom what what it looks like. I mean, let's let's say that Trump wins. And Trump appoints a Social Security and Medicare guru. And Trump says, look, we can't go with further in debt. I mean, we just can't. We, we, we've got to address this. I mean, we're in a vicious, vicious cycle. And the, the person responsible for addressing some of the concerns we have with Medicare and Social Security say you can only collect 50% of what we promised you. We can't meet the obligations to the person who's 50 years old today. I mean, what, what sort of cataclysmic effect will that have on the economy? I mean, imagine, see, I've always argued this, and this is, once again, in the theoretical. What would our economy be today if we didn't allow ourselves to get $33 trillion in debt? How much economic activity is a result of the $33 trillion of money we've spent that we don't have that will eventually have to be held accountable for? Will it end up being $40 trillion, $45, 50, trillion, trillion, $60 trillion? I mean, I don't know, uh, and it's a percentage of GDP. The number doesn't concern me. Well, I mean, the number concerns me, obviously, but as a percentage to GDP it is the more alarming number, and we've just blown through some of the statistical normals. I mean, we, we just we blew through the, that before COVID, and, and I'll tell you guys, when you really look back on it, I'm not an economist nor historian, but, but 1973 and taking America off the gold standard was the day that fundamentally all of our worlds changed, not for the better. And then in 2008, when we introduced, we had dabbled with it, but when we mainstreamed quantitative easing. I mean, that, that's the day. And that, that's when I I mean, if I'm running for office and I'm running as a fiscal conservative, the point I think I make to the voters is this. I, I would on the stump say, the government taxes you at about 50%. You make a dollar, they take half. In state, federal, local sales, consumption, whatever. I mean, you know, there's a um, there's a litany of taxes that are collected by federal, state, local governments. So you make a dollar, they take fifty from the get-go. The other half they've allowed you to keep to live your life. They devalued by about a third. And I think I mean the, the, the private sector doesn't increase inflation, doesn't create inflation. The government does that. So, so when, when, when somebody poses a question, okay, what does the other side look like? I, I can't fathom what the other side looks like. I mean, I can, I can go to Buford T. Justice. I mean, I can say this, you know, 1929 ain't baby crap. 2008 ain't baby crap. COVID ain't baby crap. I mean, when, when our government decides to live within its means, there's going to be an enormous shock to our economy. And it will be forced at some point in time to live within its means. And when it's forced and where that number is and who the president is, I don't have any idea. But when that day comes, there will be a shock to our economy unlike any shock our economy has ever felt in our country's existence. And that includes the Great Depression. That includes 2008 when the world blew up. That includes COVID and some of the silliness we did as a result of economic stimulus macroeconomic stimulus, the CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan. There's a day of reckoning, and it's going to be monumental. And I think it's going to be, I mean, all I can say is what I've done. And what I've done is prepared for life, not counting on the typical economic cycles that we've found a bit predictable in my first 60 years on the planet. I can officially say that now. First 60 years on the planet. Take a break. Back in a few. I want to find a little humor in, in something very serious, because we got a good guest with us, and he's been a frequent guest of our show and always an engaging and informative um, person. Fox News Radio's Eben Brown is with us this morning. So there's a scene in a Seinfeld episode, no soup for you. Yeah, we So the voters in Colorado... No Trump for you. I mean, th- th- <laughs> there will be no Trump for you if you're a voter in, uh, in Colorado. <laughs> Eben, what are and we I- to make? And, and I want to say this. I mean, I... Since my time of hosting a conservative radio show in Red State, South Carolina, there have been a few moments that I say, I never saw this coming. I mean, I, I just, re- I know we're divided. I know politics is confrontational and, and and controversial. I just never imagined that a Supreme Court would convict a presidential candidate of a crime he's never been charged with and take his name off the ballot. What say you, Eben?
8: Well, if- yeah, I don't think I had that on the bingo card either, but uh, <laughs> here, here's the thing that I, I think everyone needs to, to take a look at this. There are plenty of Democrats in office, Democratic uh, or liberal thinkers and personalities who have already said and said pretty quickly, this is a bad idea. It sets a very bad precedent. Donald Trump has not even been charged with insurrection, nonetheless convicted of it. Uh and th- this seems to be awfully political in nature and not necessarily fair as per the as per legal precedent or application. Uh, and I suspect the Supreme Court will get involved rather quickly because there is a, a January 4th or 5th filing deadline for Colorado uh, to be on their ballots, whether it's going to be on the, the March primary or the, uh, the November general. Um, and here's the other thing that that really struck me first. There have been times in the past, in the past decade or so, that Democrats, uh, especially the federal government, have used politicized tactics to try to get their way, and it's come back to bite them. Uh, the, Ob- the Democrats, who had a, a, a narrow majority in the U.S. Senate during part of the Obama administration, used the so-called nuclear option to get uh, a, a political appointees confirmed. With the warning, I think, from Mitch McConnell, minority leader at the time, saying, uh, you know, you've opened a door here. And then in, during the Trump years, when and then when the Republicans had a Senate majority, they used the so-called nuclear option themselves to get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. And then the Democrats, well, this is unprecedented. Well, no, it's not. You you open the door to this. Uh, Democrats impeached Donald Trump twice over things that were— considered to be minor, generally unprovable, and not necessarily illegal. Uh, And uh, the warning was given, uh, this could come back to bite you. Uh, There's now a, a very real chance that Joe Biden could be impeached on something that may be more provable than anything Donald Trump was ever considered for removal from office for. Uh, and now, let's just say the U.S. Supreme Court is able, is going to, in a very weird move, uphold what the, what the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled is okay, and that is the removal of Donald Trump uh, for a crime he's not even charged with, nonetheless not convicted of. What then stops a state like Florida or Texas uh, or South Carolina, for that matter, from saying, well, Joe Biden might have taken foreign money in an influence operation vis-a-vis his son? Um, we don't want him on our ballots.
0: Eben, there's another crazy part of this story, and I want to get your take on this. And I think this is probably in my wheelhouse, less reporting, more politics. The people that, that didn't want this to happen are probably the ones trying to defeat Trump in a Republican primary. I mean, in normal political times, you'd say, yeah, uh, the front runner just took it on the chin. I got to believe that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis woke up this morning saying, wow, wish that hadn't happened. I mean, that's more fuel Uh, to the fire.
8: Well, a couple of things. One, it's a bit more of an existential thing. This wasn't like, you know, a paperwork blunder that, uh, oh, the candidate just screwed up in his campaign staffs and, you know, uh, not, not good enough to get the stuff filed on time or whatever the case may be. Hey, tough on you uh that that's that's certainly not what happened here i uh, this is an existential matter and it, 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 if republicans are going to be taken seriously as making a case for the rule of law then they they must i would i would imagine they must uh, at least very much you know appear to be supportive of donald trump uh and uh and if anything look i donald trump gets indicted as his popularity increases donald trump gets uh uh, sanctioned in some way, his, his popularity increases. Uh, I suspect this is only bolstering Donald Trump's main argument, is that there is a, a power structure in Washington that is out to prevent any, any outsider from getting elected and having a chance to change government. Uh, call it the deep state or the administrative state or the, the military-industrial complex or whatever you want to call it, uh, but it just bolsters the argument that such a thing exists uh, and it's working against the desires of the American people. Donald Trump, for whatever he is or hasn't or, or isn't or hasn't done or has done, is incredibly popular. Even if you don't believe the polls to the, uh, to the degree they say he's popular, it's hard to fudge that kind of popularity. Very well explained. Eben, thank you for your time.
0: Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas if we thank don't talk so anymore much. this week. To you as well. Take care. Thank you. Evan Brown, Fox News Radio. Always such a great, great guest. Better than we deserve. I mean, really and truly better than we um, deserve. Josh, I want to drag you. Do we have a call? Okay, let's go to the phone, and then we'll – want to get Josh's take on something. I said something about an hour ago, and Josh gave me the big thumbs up. Like, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, that's where we need uh, to be talking about. So, so let's go to the phone. I want to come back and get – because it's always interesting to me to get these generational perspectives – I mean, Rev and I have a similar generational sensibility about us. We don't agree on everything, but the majority of our opinions have been impacted by these things that we saw as we developed, you know, and, and matured. And And Josh has been exposed to very different sorts of things and obviously reacts and responds in, in, in a unique and different sort of way. Let's go to the phone.
1: Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. You're on. Hello, Mike. Okay. Mike is not there.
0: 843-661-0937 is our number. So let's go back to Josh. So a second ago when, when I, and I, I said it in kind of a, um, a humorous tone that the Republicans need to grow a set. I mean, you know, fight fire with fire. Um, Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney are traveling around the country talking about how, uh, you know, undignified or, or irreverent or irresponsible. Uh, I think we had a call. So Josh, will have to, Negotiate these waters on the other side of you doing multiple jobs. Multitasking is what Josh is up to. Um, We hope we don't have a problem with the phone. We don't think we have a problem with the phone. No, that might be Mike, man. Okay, is that?
1: Mike, is that you? Yes, thank you. Okay. Okay, you're on. Hello? Hey, you're on. Can you hear us? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can hear you
6: just fine. Okay. Uh, the, uh, that, that Brown fellow, he is really, uh, he, he's really good. I hope you have him on more often, but I, there's, I think there's plenty of money out there. It's just being misappropriated and used for silly things. And as far as that court out there in uh, Colorado, those, co- those Cowboys have gone communist or something. I don't know uh, exactly what it is, but, uh, it's not it's 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 just stupid what they're doing i hate to say that i hate to call somebody stupid but uh the ramifications of this is is just absolutely awful and uh i think that they shouldn't be applying this and they won't even let you lot ride in trump
0: that's not fair at all thank you mike appreciate that so so let's let's i mean i want to go back to some comments i wrote down this morning i mean obviously Journalists have a job to do. Reporters have a job to do. The courts have a responsibility to execute what they deem is appropriate. I mean, I I don't see any scenario that this does not get overturned. Um, But when Michigan and Minnesota decided not to go down that road, I thought Trump was kind of all, "Ah, okay, he'll be okay. But he won't have to deal with this. But he's going to have to deal with a lot of of other things. And we got Jack Smith and a court ruling sooner or later. Smith tries to end around the appellate courts to fast track some of, um, some of the, uh, the election interference cases, you know, some of the indictments involving that you got so many different things going on at one time. It's hard to keep up with. That's why you need your fearless leader, right? Josh. That's why you need, um, your, your encyclopedia of politics here behind the grand old uh, microphone. (laughs) But these are the, these are the comments I said this morning, the Democrat party, has staked its claim to permanent control of the federal government, regardless of the will of the people. I mean, Edmund went down the, the road of establishment and, you know, the administrative state, the deep state, the careers, the cathedral, whatever you'd like to refer to that group as. Here's what I don't understand. I mean, I, I, I get the fact that one party is obsessed with being in control of the federal government. I, I've always believed, how do you match the intensity? If you're a limited government conservative, how do you match the intensity? I mean, the word limited government means I don't want a lot of government. But but I want to be in control of that not a lot of government. I'm a Republican. I want to run for an office involving the government, but I don't want government to be big and bad. So, So you've got a certain amount of intensity. And then on the left, you've got I want to be in charge of government, and I want government to settle every score it can. I mean, I want government to right every wrong, level the socioeconomic playing field. I want government to execute policy that punishes bad guys and rewards good guys, and I get to choose who the bad and good guys are. So you've you've got got a, a, to me, you've got a fire burning at a million degrees on the left. I mean, they want to be in charge of government because they want government to be weaponized and level the playing field and create parity and equality amongst us all. And then you've got Rev on the conservative side saying, yeah, I want to run, but I don't really want to be. I'm not that ambitious about government doing all of these things. I'd probably rather government stay in a box much smaller than my liberal friends do. So it's going to be natural that, that the Democrats are going to be obsessed, more obsessed with being in charge of government. And I'm talking about philosophically and ideologically. I'm not talking about Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney. I mean, they're careerists. I mean, those guys want to be in charge of government to self-advantage themselves and their family and... To, to be in power and influence. It's not about ideology with McConnell, Romney, Cheney. I mean, it's about power, influence, and prosperity. I mean, you know, and that's not, one party doesn't have a monopoly on, I want to be in power. I want to be in charge. I want to make more money. I want my family to enjoy the lucrative benefits of being a high-ranking government official. I mean, I would agree that both parties are very ambitious in regards to that. But for those of us who are entrenched in some philosophical belief, I'm not going to be able to ever match the intensity of my liberal friends because they want to weaponize government. I want to drown government in the bathtub. Maybe not. Well, I mean, I do, but a lot of conservatives don't, They except, you know, that'd be the libertarian perspective and the libertarian strain uh, in the party. Here's where I get confused. I- I'm not confused. I mean, I'm surprised that the court did what it did, but I'm not confused by why it did what it did. I understand that the liberal Democrats are obsessed with being in control of the government, and if we can't beat Trump, then let's get him off the ballot. Why? Because I'm obsessed. I mean, I'm obsessed with with being in control. I don't know if I'm obsessed with power and money, but I'm obsessed with being in control of the levers of government. Here's what I don't understand: that there's got to be some legal theory here, doesn't there? I mean, I don't have to 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 to, to lean on a liberal, excuse me, a, a legal theory, but the courts do, right? But I mean, they've got to be founded in some measure of, 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 of lawfare or legal theory. So Trump has never been charged of insurrection. I mean, when you read Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, I mean, it's about insurrection. I mean, it, it's basically to keep the Confederates who <laughs> opposed the federal government during the Civil War from seeking public office ever again. Now you can't let I mean they, you know you can't let those insurgents in I mean they they may uh, you know they they may try to pull another coup I mean they lost the war but they've not lost that spirit I mean they still believe in some of the fundamentals they they believed in and if you let those son of a guns in office I mean they'll you know they, they, they'll mount some sort of insurrection they'll they'll rise up against the the government but but Trump has never been charged with insurrection so the courts who we count on to to some degree follow the law. The courts convicted Donald Trump of a crime that he's never been charged with. That does surprise me. I mean, that does alarm me. I mean, it startles me. Once again, Democrats obsessed with being in charge of government and will do anything they need to to give themselves an advantage. Doesn't surprise me at all. Democrat justices convicting a man of a crime that he's never been charged with is, I mean, that, I understand legal, legal jiu-jitsu, but that's, wow. I mean, how do you get there from here? Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. So, Josh, do, I mean, I'm not asking you if you agree or disagree, but the, the, the argument I'm making that I'm not surprised at all by the lawfare or the, the, the obsessiveness that the Democrats are exerting to be in charge. I am surprised that they would just, just wiggle and distort and massage and manipulate legal realities. I mean, I, I don't know how a Supreme Court maintains any degree of seriousness when they basically convict, convict a guy of a crime that he's not been charged with. You believe the Republicans, I mean, you've led me to believe that you believe one of the responses should be convict somebody of a crime, like Evan Brown just said, maybe Biden took foreign money. And because he might have taken foreign money, we're going to take him off the ballot in South Carolina. I mean, would you be supportive of that?
2: Yeah. So you were kind of referring to earlier, you were talking about how you jokingly said the Republicans have no cojones, and, and I agreed and gave you a thumbs up. I was more agreeing to that than what you said right after, which was to take Biden off the ballots. And I do think um, I'm actually not sure how I feel about that point specifically. I I agree with the sentiment of it, but I think that taking Biden or sorry, taking Trump off the, the ballot in Colorado is really good for him. Because it's showing your average person, I mean, your average Seinfeld watcher cannot avoid this news story, and it's showing them the kind of hypocrisy within the Democratic Party. And so, you know, the people that are completely okay with this, you're never going to gonna convince them anyway, but this is this is really good for a lot of independents. And I'm starting, I, I kind of think that to do the same thing to Biden would have the same effect, where it kind of like, oh, well, they're both corrupt you know it kind of puts us in the same box i think let them bury themselves but at
0: what time at what point at what um corner turn does the the preservation of a constitutionally based government come into play i mean i get it's probably good for trump if i'm nikki haley and ron desantis when, when i go to bed and say my prayers you know what i pray for please god don't let this happen again i mean don't don't take him off the ballot anywhere else because he's tough enough to beat like it is. He's going to be impossible to beat if we do that. There's no doubt that you and I are in agreement. It's good for Trump. I mean, it's good, But it's bad for the nation, Josh. Oh, I yeah. Mean, but- at some point in time, I mean, we're, we're, we're playing twister with the Constitution. I mean, we're, we're, what our what founders— What Constitution? Well, I mean, and, well, and that's, exactly. But I mean, okay, but, Rev, if, if we don't base some of the judgments and predispositions we have on the Constitution, what do we do every morning? I mean, right. what, what do we base oh, it in? I mean, what we're talking about NILs earlier. I mean, the Constitution is tried and true. I mean, we can debate if it's living and breathing or if it's a textualist or originalist. Some of that, that's fair debates to be had. But, but the Constitution, I mean, I get Section 3 Article or Amendment 14. I mean, I think there's a debate to be had about, you know, when someone does commit insurrection. And there is a legitimate charge of that. You know, when or when not do someone when or when not is someone allowed to be on the ballot or not? I, I, I accept that as fundamentally an important question. And let's have that debate. But, but I, I just think at some point in time, those who are confined and bound to the Constitution have to respect it, it, and adhere to somebody in that room in Colorado. And I, I would imagine somebody. did. It was a 4-3 decision. I'm embarrassed to say the first thing I should have done this morning is read a dissenting opinion. I did not. In fact, I couldn't find a dissenting opinion. Maybe the media is not allowing us to see the three judges. They're all elected by Democrats. I mean, they're all probably big government liberals. But three of those people said in that vote, I mean, they said with their vote, this is a bridge too far. I mean, I can't do this. I mean, as much as I don't like Trump, I mean, you can look on the back of my car. I got Biden stickers everywhere. I got Obama stickers left over from, you know, the, the good old days. But I can't. I mean, I can't redefine the Constitution. I can't be that loosey-goosey with Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. If if we go, I mean, if if one party decides to go that far and the other decides not to, the other party is at a distinct competitive disadvantage. That's the point I'm trying to make. I would love for both parties to be constrained by the Constitution, and I think they will eventually. I mean, I think the Supreme Court will ask for briefs and very quickly decide, you know, no, you can't do this. You can't convict a guy of a crime that he's not even been charged with and in the name of insurrection and Section 3 of the 14th Amendment take him off the ballot. I mean, nobody can do that. But but the point I want to make, guys, if one political party consistently does that and the other chooses not to ever do that, you're at a competitive disadvantage. It's almost like, okay, they've, they made steroids kind of sort of legal. Are we going to take them or not? And the Gamecocks decide that all their offensive and defensive linemen are going to take, you know, human growth hormones and steroids, and the Tigers aren't. And all of a sudden, the worm turns. And the team that used to beat the team pretty regularly doesn't beat the team anymore. And the and the bench press record at Clemson is 510 pounds. The bench press record at South Carolina is 590 pounds, 605 pounds. You see where I'm headed? I at agree. At some point in time, Clemson says, hey, man, I understand ethically we're opposed to steroids, but that crowd down the street that used to not ever beat us, they're whipping our ass a lot now. Well,
2: that, that, and that's the point I wanted to make was basically I think – I, I completely agree with you. Like, this, this idea that we have to constantly, you know, be held accountable to the law and the Constitution when the other side isn't is not a good strategy. I agree with it's you. It's a losing strategy. Exactly. But I think that that is what we have to do right now. I think that to—because to, you're always talking about winning over independence. I think this is a perfect example. They clearly overstepped. And they—so uh, so let that be what happened. Don't, don't then retaliate. Once we get in office, then bet you know, then take it, whoever you want off the ballot, then then prosecute people for stuff they clearly didn't do. Throw in fake ballots. I'm all for it. Would, but not right now.
0: <laughs> okay. Would you and I run running Trump's campaign. Wouldn't we at least acknowledge we could if we chose convince conservative courts and conservative states to return the favor? But because we believe that's irresponsible and it's not of the country's best interest. I think the Seinfeld watcher hears that. I mean, I think you're on to something there. I think the Seinfeld watcher who who doesn't know Nikki Haley's polling numbers in New Hampshire and you know um you know, sw- uh, frat boy meets go girl go, and they're surging <laughs> um you know, uh, well, whatever a surge is in there anyway, um and sino news, basically, a South Carolina Democrat and a New Hampshire Republican. I mean he's somewhere between. Between the two. I want, I, want to, I want to continue this conversation. I just think, I think the steroid analogy is kind of interesting. One party gets a competitive advantage if they continue to do something. Now, once again, I look for an 8-1 eight, an eight, ruling at the U.S. Supreme Court sooner than later. I think Jackson, I mean, because she's done some pretty nutty things she's, since she's been there. Um, I think she'll probably rule in favor of the Colorado um, court, because I don't think she believes very much in the Constitution or the constitutional form of government and law adherence. Take a break. Back in a few. eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. So, Josh, your theory is interesting, and I mean it probably is accurate. I mean it's sometimes interesting and accurate. I mean, I've got a lot of interesting <laughs> right. ideas. No, yeah. I'm just not sure they'd work, you know, if implemented in in, in the real world in real time. So your argument is, let it be. Yeah. I mean, just, just let it be. I mean, let, let the, I mean I, eventually the Supreme Court will make a ruling, but you're saying don't, don't aggressively tr- try to address it. Just, but is just, that
1: coming from political strategy? I mean, winning the next election, maybe Trump being elected? Is that well, I
0: mean, purely what I you're saying? I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I think the, the, the biggest Trump detractor in the world has to admit this probably makes him tougher to beat in the long run. And it goes back to the principle I've argued since the get-go: those who most passionately want to destroy Trump are the only reason he's still a viable political figure. I mean, if you would, if the if the never Trump, Trump derangement syndrome crowd would just kind of let him be, I think he would be far less formidable than he is today. But it's almost—I mean, it might be a syndrome. I mean, it, it might truly be clinically defined by now as somewhat of a medical well, condition. Well, I think the
1: raid on Mar-a-Lago was, in a big way, kind of changed the directory, uh, t- t- the direction based on what you're saying. Because when the regular Seinfeld viewer that we talk about saw that, that might have been one of the first times they scratched
0: their head and said, really? Men with guns? Because he mishandled—okay, cl- some. Okay, okay. Men with guns at gates because he mishandled classified information and most presidents admit they've mishandled classified information. They're not going to the next step. They're not going to say, "Yeah, but Trump wouldn't negotiate in good faith with the people trying to get the records back." They're not going there. Rev's right. Once you see men in SWAT uniforms with guns at the gate of a private residence of a former president, that that's that's optic ever. I mean, that, you can't ever change that. You can try an ad some of the necessary elements of debate, like, well, I mean, they tried to get him back and he wouldn't do it, you know, and, and other presidents have been easier to work with. No, I mean, that, you, you've already, I mean, that's the standard, and, and you're right. Um, how do you, see, and that's probably where, I mean, I, I've said this before, and I think this is fairly accurate, I think the beauty of Trump at its core the majority of Americans believe the government's somewhat of a mockery anyway. And Trump makes a mockery of the mockery. I think there's genius. I don't know if it's intentional or he stumbles on it, but I think a lot of voters in flyover USA say to themselves, I mean, that thing was a mockery before he got there. He's just making a mockery of the mockery. And, and he gets rewarded as a result of that. And so, so, so the guy that's making a mockery of the mockery is attacked at every angle from every imaginable force in the world. And, and I, I love it when people say, this is probably anecdotal. I do this. This may be anecdotal. Well, unless you talk to, you know, 25 million people, it is anecdotal. I mean, you've, you've got a universe. I've got a universe. We all have these people we interact with, and they'll say things. And I don't know how many people in the last year have said things like this. I mean, it's almost exactly like this. Hey, man, I wanted to be for DeSantis. I wanted to give Haley a chance, but, but they're leaving me no choice. I mean, it's Trump. I mean, I find him disgusting. I find him irreverent. I, I, you know, but, but I, I want him to be president. I wanted to be president as bad as they don't want him to be. But my motivation is not because I think he'll reform Social Security, not because I think he'll make monumental changes. I'm for him because they're so opposed to him. And and the weirdest way imaginable, when you ask a Trump fence-sitter, I mean, the Trump voter is a Trump voter. And, And I've said over and over again the great miscalculation the Republican Party will make, I didn't say might make, will make, is believing that once Trump rides off into the sunset, whether that's 2028 or 2024, that Trump voter to some degree rides off with him. I don't have any idea what percentage. But they're not coming back to vote for Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, I mean they're just not. Tucker said yesterday that if Nikki Haley is Trump's VP candidate, he's out. I mean he's he's a candidate. So, he, he's just it's kind of a protest vote. I mean you know I feel a little bit like that. I don't probably don't feel as extreme as um as Tucker does because I want Trump to be president. I mean I desperately want Donald Trump to be president because I want to see what he does, understanding more about the joint than he did when he got there in twenty twenty four. But I think the the making a mockery of the mockery and the people that are so passionately opposed to him having another chance at the president are the reason he may eventually end up winning the presidency. And I'll tell you, guys, if the election were today, I mean, if they were casting ballots all over America today for president of the United States, Trump wins by a bigger margin, at least the same margin that he won in 2016 i'm thinking about a state he didn't win in 20 that could or excuse me in 16 that could be fair game in 20 and i don't know that i can come up with one i mean i don't think virginia's purple i mean he won he he ran the table as a republican in 2016 and and then he didn't you know in 20 the certification of the vote say otherwise we can argue about statistical anomalies and what may or may not have happened but but I the, the 232 that he got in 16 or in 20 becomes 235. So you can add three to the win category, so to speak. But I don't know of another state. I mean, I think 2016, he won about everywhere he's going to win. I know he's running around saying, you know, New York's in play. I mean, I hope somebody's allowing him to say that publicly, but they're making no investment at all in, uh, in New maybe, York. Maybe he'll flip Colorado after all this. Uh, that would be interesting. It <laughs> will be interesting to watch Independence. I mean, I think Josh is onto something. What will the independent in Colorado's reaction be to, in the short run, Trump being taken off off the ballot? And I am surprised by that. I mean, Rev and Josh say they aren't. I am surprised that that a, 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 a duly elected Supreme Court of a said in several state convicted a man of a crime that he's not been charged with.
1: The reason I said I'm not surprised is because I've felt all along, I've seen what they've done to him that's been unprecedented since the day he announced for president, since the day he was sworn in as president, and then since he's been not president anymore. So all those unprecedented things, I was like, there's nothing that would surprise
0: me that they would try to throw at him. But do you sense, Josh, in your younger sphere of influence, do you sense the anecdotals? Do you guys talk politics much at all? Sometimes yeah. Okay, do you sense any any I mean to to me I've seen it a lot. The the friends of mine who are politically inclined not real fond of Trump except now. And I mean I had a buddy of mine. I, I talk about these buddies of mine. I had a buddy of mine last night send me a text. "Wow, did you see what happened in Colorado?" This guy's not a big Trump voter. I mean I can assure you he's not a big Trump voter. He'll vote for Trump if he's the nominee, but his re- reaction and response was they're going to make me buy a red baseball cap. The last thing I want to do on this earth is wear a MAGA cap. But they're going to almost make me go find a MAGA cap, put it on my head, loudly and proudly proclaim myself a Trump supporter. And, and I, it's just bizarre to me that the people on the other side can't figure this out. And, and that goes back to my, I mean, maybe there is such a condition as Trump derangement syndrome. Maybe you become unbelievably irrational, impractical, irresponsible because of your vehement opposition or hatred of one man running for one office. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Taking the, um, the time during the break to read some of the comments, some of the articles are being updated in National Review, the American conservative, real clear politics, the wall street journal, um, the New York times, Washington post. I've kind of tried to go back over there. I love to read the, re- th- the comments. I mean, I understand the majority of journalists are liberal. So I kind of baked that into the cake, maybe not at the, at the, um, at the national review. Um, but they're not real friendly to the Trump phenomenon, but they'd rather this debate be about conservative ideology and, and liberal ideology, and taxes, and regulations. What I'd call the historical debate uh, in traditional American politics trumps an outlier to any of that. Um, and it's interesting to watch the... I mean, you kind of know what to expect from the journalist. You don't know what to expect from some of the readers. And, um, and I love to read some of the comments and um, the opinions of the subscribers, because I think Rev and I have agreed it's not just a consumer of political news. It's somebody who took the time to pay an extra amount of money to be a subscriber. So they're a little invested. Uh, they're they're, they're invested, and you would imagine them to be a little bit more informed, hence opinionated. And when you, uh, when you read some of this, now, now obviously there are some outlandish things on there. I think they are to provoke. I mean, I think people go on there and use pseudonames, you know, just to kind of drum up some um, – some provocative conver- conversation. Um, I love posting on the National Review because it's Dave Baker's subscription, <laughs> so, and I so, you know, so you're one of those. Ba- Baker says some pretty crazy <laughs> things on on the comment section of the National Review. Now the Wall Street Journal, uh, it, it's a little more. I'm a little more upstanding. Um, but yeah, when when I when it says um, Dave Baker is about to comment, I'm going like, you're right, Dave Baker's <laughs> Say this: <laughs> Have um, I said anything interesting lately? Well, not lately. Okay. Um, they've got this thing now. You got to sign in oh. to comment, and I'm too lazy to sign in every time I want to um, offer up a comment. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Oh, the call
1: just dropped. Okay, uh, uh, eight
0: four second. three yeah. six six one zero oh, nine three seven is our number. Um, I think Josh has stumbled on kind of an interesting theory, um, and that is "Let It Be." Right. I mean, that's a Beatles song, but I think Josh is saying kind of let it be. I mean, let let Trump appear to be a victim in Colorado and some of the Seinfeld watching crowd who normally don't pay attention. Right, Josh? That's right. Uh, They would probably say, wow, they took him off the ballot. But
1: but Josh, I want to know if your opinion on that comes from a purely political standpoint. If you you know, if you'd like to see Republicans get elected to high office is that what you're saying from a political strategy, or do you think it's the right thing to do for some reason?
2: Um, I think it's it's political strategy. It's a little stratagery. Uh, you know, we got can can you talk a lot about appealing to um, the moderates? You know, the, the well, being the presidential campaigns, be, you have to the people exactly. that decide the election in the swing states. You don't have to do states.
0: that in California. You don't have to do that in South Carolina. I mean, you don't. I mean, there are some solidly blue states. There's some solidly red states. Districts are no different. We've gerrymandered. I mean, the majority of House seats and, and, and really and truly Senate races are one of the primaries. I mean, there's a handful of competitive Senate races, but the majority of Senate races in the U.S. Senate are, you know, won by Democrats and won by Republicans. I'm trying to think of um, probably the most competitive state in America is Pennsylvania, maybe. I mean, Arizona is very competitive. I mean, there's a handful but but the, the presidency is the only office you seek, by and large, that requires moderates and independents being supportive of one candidate over another. Right. And, and I think you're on to something when, when you know, the, the politics of this would probably be to Trump's advantage by allowing himself to
2: be a victim. This is a perfect opportunity to, to, play, to play the victim, to be the victim. And that this is it's the perfect opportunity to appeal to moderates, in my opinion, I think. And also because, you know, conservatives constantly tout that they are the the arbiters of the Constitution, that we're we're more concerned the safe with, keepers. Yes. The Democrats want to overthrow uh, the, the democracy and just be in charge and Republicans want to preserve it. That is the this is the perfect opportunity to show people that that's what we're doing, even though I agree that's not what we should be doing. We should be trying to win at all costs. But this is, this is str- strategy. This is a perfect opportunity to do that. So would you
0: include, to Rev's point about being totally and completely political, would you include that, yes, I mean, th- th- there's an urge I have to return the favor. Oh, yeah. But you don't know how bad. I want to call my buddies in South Carolina and convince them to take Biden off the ballot. But I know that that's not of the American people's best interest. I know there has to be some adherence to the Constitution and the rule of law. And yeah. out of deference to the rule of law and 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 political stability and national security, I'm not going to do that. Yes, I want to do that. I'm a fighter. I mean, the people that are attracted to my campaign know that we normally fight. I mean, when punch, we counterpunch. Mm-hmm. But in this particular instance, I want to be the bigger man. I want to rise to the moment. Would you include that in...
2: The political narrative. Yes, this is this is a nexus point because I, I don't even know if y'all knew this, but Chris Christie has had to come out in, in favor of Trump, Chris Christie, and so basically this is the perfect opportunity to you know like if you return the favor, what, what will happen? I mean, what this shows is that that's that damn Trump. I mean, so you can't trust him. I mean, he's reckless. He well, he, it shows that the Democrats have a chokehold on the system. And that they're using that to their advantage, even though it goes against what the system should be. And so if we return the favor, do, do we honestly think that Biden will be convicted of any crime and thrown out of office? I highly doubt it. And even if he was, what would the point be with the election coming up so soon? I think it is far better to to let the Democrats dig themselves into a deeper hole. Let them own it. Exactly.
0: I mean, let them own this decision made in Colorado See, I don't think any of us have a uh uh an understanding of how intense that emotion is. And and it's not really an emotion. I mean, I'll say it, I mean, if it were an emotion, it would basically speak in audible terms by saying, a damn Trump. There's there there you've probably seen these YouTube videos, guys. There's a YouTube video, and it's normally younger kids doing it to their parents or grandparents. You're watching television, and all of a sudden comes something, you know. This is an emergency alert from the National Security Agency of the United States of America. The nation of North Korea has launched a nuclear attack on seven major American cities. Those cities include, and it's like this AI voice. Those cities include Boop. New York, Boop. Chicago, Boop. Los Angeles. Boop. Now, you see where I'm headed? And and, the, and it's funny to watch. I mean, the kids have placed a camera in a in kind of a random place. And, you know, the camera's pointing at the and, and the father's going like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean he's he eating his lunch, and he's eating dinner, watching TV, and all of a sudden he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, in about half those videos that include, um, I mean, I, I'll say it, a lot of them are African Americans. They have a propensity to vote Democrat. I'm not being judgmental. That's, I mean, that's the statistical reality, that there are about four or five that I've watched of some in, in an African American family I mean, and once again, I'm not being racist. I mean, I'll say this, this is nowhere near racist. 90% of African-Americans vote Democrat, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's where we are in America today. They have every right to vote for who they want to vote for, just like whites, just like Caucasians, just like women and men, and college educated, non-college. The body politic or running for office forces you to engage and try to attract certain blocks of voters. I mean, that's just the nature of politics, so when I watch these YouTube videos and it's an African-American family, um, somebody invariably always says when, when, when it comes on and the father says, hey, whoa, 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 stop, be, be quite a second. And they're talking about, you know, um, the National Security Agency has been notified that North Korea has launched missiles to five American cities. Within 30 to 45 seconds, somebody says, you ready? A damn Trump. And damn Trump. I, I don't think we understand. I mean, we live in our little bubbles. I mean, all of us do. Uh, Rev lives in a bubble. I live in a bubble. Some bubbles are bigger than other bubbles. I mean, we're very accusatory about the bubble of media and academia. You know, those kids leave those prestigious universities, and where do they go, a NASCAR race, a college football game down south? No, they go to CNN. They go to NBC, they go to ABC, they go to the New York Times, they go to the, I mean, we're all guilty of that. I mean, we all silo ourselves in, in into these compartments. Every one of us do. I mean, I don't know a single human being that has the humanistic ability to not be attracted to people who have similar views, similar lifestyles, similar incomes. I mean, that's just human nature. I mean, there's a reason it's called nature. There's a natural inclination that we have you have to fight your natural inclination to not do that uh and and we all try to because we want to be a little bit diverse and and see things we don't believe in and and, and expose ourselves to thoughts that we may find disagreeable i mean it's better for all of us if we i mean if we, if we'd all but we're not vulcans i mean we're naturally inclined to i mean that's why it's human nature but but i think we underestimate rev I don't think we want to accept how many Americans out there buy into that. Damn Trump. I mean, he keeps something stirred up all the time, man. I'm tired of this. I mean, you can't tell him anything. He won't listen to anybody. I mean, he you know, he does whatever strikes him. I mean, that's kind of old man terminology there. I got a buddy who passed away. Uh, he was an older gentleman. And, I mean, he he's a Republican. But he told me one day, and I still laugh about it, he's passed away now. And he would say, you're pushing Trump on the radio. Because he listened to the show. And I said, Yeah. He said, Um, why? I said, I just want to change. I mean, I think we need a disruptor. We just I mean, we got to break this status quo, this this, you know, this death grip the establishment has and the elites have and the cathedral has, and we gotta break that death grip. And he said, um, i get that, I get that, but but Trump concerns me. And he's an older gentleman. And I said, What concerns you about him, Mr. Such and Such? And he said, He's old and rich. Oh, rich people do whatever strikes them. And you can't have that mentality in the White House. You can't wake up one day and be mad at, you know, Kim Jong-un and say, send a missile over there. I mean, he wants to be a, you know, Billy Bad Dog. Let's send a missile over there and teach him a lesson or two. I don't think we understand how many people there are out there that buy into that. I mean, we're we're refreshed by that. I mean, you and mm-hmm. I, and I know I'm saying this redundantly, you and I kind of, um. I mean, we like that damn Trump. It's a bit complimentary, right? I mean, when somebody says to us, that damn Trump, you, you're right, you're right. I mean, he doesn't play by the, by the book. I mean, he doesn't do things in a predictable fashion. He doesn't always show you his cards. He doesn't do things uh, in, in, the, in, in, a, in, a, in a formality or a way that we've historically become accustomed to. But, but I think there's another element of our voting electorate that that, just, that that scares them. It freaks them out. It's like, wow, man. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not deciding when to open the diner or not. That's not deciding whether to take the onion rings off of the menu or not. That's not deciding, are we going to expand the appetizer menu? Is, is the hotel room going to be 139 or 150? This is the leader of the free world. And, and he's got to be more resolved and have a, a you know, more consistent temperament. He can't just, just, you know, whatever strikes him. He can't go down down that road. I think that is probably what concerns conservative-minded people who find his policies pretty agreeable. I mean, that, Forget the personality, forget the, you know, uh, the bombast and the narcissism. I don't know a single person that embraces narcissism. And, and I mean, I'm thinking about narcissism in the public domain is largely fake and phony. I mean, I, Rick Flair, I mean, it, you know, he's the consummate narcissist, but that's an act. I mean, that's a, a charade. You know, that's not who he really is. Nobody gets away with that. So I don't believe that, that, you know, I mean, I think people are put off by narcissism, but I don't think people vote yay or nay as to whether someone's narcissistic or not. They, they might not invite them to a tailgate or might not want to go on a vacation with them if they're full of themselves and all they talk about is themselves and they demand loyalty one way. I mean, we know all those stories. But I think there's a lot of people in America today that are intrigued by a damn Trump. And there are a lot of people in America today that make, they, they get real nervous and, you know, not Trump, man. I'm telling you, he's a, he makes me nervous. I mean, he, he kind of makes it up as he goes and he does all these things that are, are just so unconventional. He says all these things that, that just, you know, rile his base up and offend all these these other people. The three of us kind of like that. I mean, I can't speak for the two of you, but I do. I find, oh, that, yeah. I th- I find that wonderfully refreshing. But, but
1: the narcissist trait, um, because you talk about voters, do I know you, do I like you? All right, if you're a narcissist, You're likely going to make people not like you as much. But if
0: you're an extreme narcissist, you kind of get away with it. (laughs) Well, Probably so. Because it's almost like it's almost like an act. Well, it is. It's almost like he's full of it. He knows he's full of it. And he knows that that I know he's full of it. You know, the one the most intriguing part of Trump as a candidate is, is he playing a game with us? I mean, Rev and I have a lot of conversations about Dylan. I mean, is, is Dylan that aloof? Or is he that much a genius? I'm not I'm not saying Trump's a genius by any stretch, but but some of the things he says, he makes work where nobody else can. And you can't stumble on that as much as he has. There's got to be some designed intent. Hey, I, I don't know that he goes in a dark room with his age, with his advisors and consultants and says, Hey, watch this. You know, what watch what we do. I think he just like it's spontaneous. You know that that's him. I mean, he says these things, and we all go like, "Whoa!" I don't know if I'd said that. And then his polling goes up three or four points, and and the jokes on all of us. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, I was thinking about the the irony of the Trump court. I mean, we all agree, Josh, that the majority of Trump influence would. I mean, it, well, the 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 not everlasting nor eternal. Not, nothing about Earth is eternal. Um. The the political legacy of Donald Trump would be the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away on his watch and Amy Coney Barrett replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the court went from being kind of a 5-4, you know, Roberts court. You never knew exactly where Roberts was going to to rule. And now Roberts has been a bit neutered and and it's a conservative court, no question about it. But the, I mean, the justices of the U.S. Supreme Court are going to quickly rule on whether or not Colorado um, overstepped its bounds of the Supreme Court in Colorado. But they're also going to consider some of these presidential immunity questions. And, and that'll happen sooner than later. Um, you know, Jack Smith has asked, they've agreed to hear the case, uh, but Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, is, um, is trying to end around the appellate court, go straight to the U.S. Supreme Court. So there's some kind of irony in here about presidential immunity, you know, uh, being on the ballot or not. It's just, it's going to be one of the most interesting presidential elections in the history of our country. In particular, if Trump quickly locks up the nomination, if he wins in Iowa and he beats, um, you know, the brat boy beats go girl go in, in, uh, in New Hampshire, it's over. I mean, I think it's over now but there's still a formal process that um, the campaigns have to endure. You've got a um, an Iowa caucus January 15, and then you've got, you know, the New Hampshire primary shortly after that, the Las Vegas gonna be the Nevada primary and then the South Carolina primary. I mean, I you know, I would imagine we're still having a primary once we get to South Carolina, and then Super Tuesday, you know, quickly follows that. But it's going to get very interesting and very legal specific. We're going to talk a lot about the U.S. Supreme Court, and I mean, what if, I mean, hypothetically, Josh, what if the courts quickly, or the court, the highest Court of the Land, quickly strikes down what the Colorado Supreme Court does and, in a surprising decision, says that Trump did have presidential immunity and he can't be charged for any of the January 6th shenanigans and, you know, election interference cases in Georgia go away. Election interference cases in in uh, what other state? Uh, what other state is it that uh, Washington? Uh, yeah, I think that's somewhere where the— um, uh, It's not Washington. It's Georgia and—is uh, it—it might be Pennsylvania. Anyway, there, there's a couple of states Trump's dealing with. I think it is Washington. I mean, I think it is the nation's capital that are making some decisions— but, um, but I mean, Trump could catch lightning in a bottle and the Trump court be favorable toward Donald Trump by agreeing that the Colorado court overstepped its legal authority and Trump had presidential immunity. That's not as interesting while he's still running for the Republican nomination. But once he secures the nomination, I mean, it's over. I mean, he is the Republican nominee for president of the united states and these questions i mean he's one of two people that are going to be elected president out of 330 million 340 million americans there are two people the democrat nominee and the republican nominee that are going to win the presidency and one of those two people has two pretty significant cases before the u.s supreme court let's go to the phone
2: anthony from north carolina anthony you're on the air
0: Hey, fellas.
9: Uh, i still been listening, but I ain't called in a while. I talked to Josh, and he told me the KISS when I call in. Uh, you understand that? So I'll keep it kind of simple this time. I believe you're giving the, the uh, masses of people too much credit when it comes to Trump and them seeing what's going on as far as, this, um, as, far as the political and him getting all these charges or whatever. The masses of people out here... They're not in tune to conservative or radio stations that giving them the info on what's really going down. A lot of them are mostly saying, why don't you just go ahead and lock them up? Or they complain about it. They don't see what we or y'all see as far as it's political. They don't see that. The masses of people don't see that. So y'all eggs in a basket far trying to figure out that's going to work on election day. I believe the Democratic Party is too calm right now. That mean that if y'all think that that's going to work as far as the people going to see that or we're going to get behind Trump because we feel sorry for him, I don't believe that's going to work. I really, really don't believe. But um, I was listening to the other day, and you were talking about Joe Rogan and his shows and the views he got. I believe one of the reasons he got viewers and sponsors like that is because, how can I say it? He talk about real stuff. A lot of us say that. Other stations, uh, even the word conspiracy theory come up, and all the radio hosts get a funny tone to them or whatever. To me, whatever the government says, that's the truth. Anything other than that is conspiracy theory. I don't care if it's the man on the moon, the the uh, president, nine eleven, whatever. Whatever the the government put in the library or whatever. Anything besides that is conspiracy conspiracy theory. And that means that our government basically is our God, whatever they say, because they use that with, uh, along with the media. Case in point, they'll have something that we, if we use our, our, our common sense, we'll know that that ain't true. But there are sensitive stuff on news like, say, 9 11. You couldn't show the towers coming down for three years after it came down on national TV. You couldn't talk about it because, oh, conspiracy. If y'all keep talking about conspiracy on this radio station, the FBI can come and talk to y'all all because of the the uh, that Bush and on or, or the Bush thing, the um, Homeland Security Act. So I know you don't like Biden, but a lot of laws that that affect us to this day is because of the Homeland Security Act. But I'm gonna cut it short. Just thinking about how we're supposed to be trying to get our country back and this and that, whatever, whenever. The, the CDC that tells us what to do and shut down stuff is not a government agency. The Federal Reserve that controls our money can control the one percenter and make sure that the poor stay poor is not a government agency. I mean, and, and Ken, you're smart. I am, so I'm quite sure you know some more companies out there that the masses of people think is a government agency, but it is not. So how can we expect them to have our best interests in mind? They can be bored. Yeah. Uh, um. And yeah. One more call. I you had a call last week. I enjoyed him. All the white guys. And he was telling us about whenever cancer. I mean, whenever they were using aluminum in deodorant and how the media and the commercial people tricked it so that we wouldn't know and we got cancer later on. I'm telling you, Ken. There's so many industries in this in America that we would shut down. If there was a truth for about cancer, and we had to get rid of everything that was giving us cancer. America would not be America the way it is. And all we do is brag about America because we got stuff that we could buy for money. And we got entertainment, whatever. But without all that stuff, cancer would shut the truth. Either we want to live or we want to deal with cancer. Cancer could be a major hustle that all we're doing is paying in money every chance we get. And there are companies that know that they're part of give off cancer. And they still make money. And that's America. But sorry, Josh, you said K-I-S-S, but I couldn't help it, though. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Say- appreciate
0: it. Merry Christmas to you, my man. Appreciate you calling. Appreciate you listening. Uh, Anthony always hits me with a lot of different uh, – it's not questions. It's opinions he has. And he wants to, ba- I, I guess, bounce those opinions off of um off of other people. Um, I think there's a theme here. And I think Anthony's call and his questions and commentary kind of play in uh, to the theme. And I don't think Anthony's by himself in this. Um, I believe that Donald Trump has ushered in an era, and this may be ah, the 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 psycho babbly part of Trump being a politician. He's increased the skepticism that Americans have of their government. I mean, it, to me, it's healthy. I mean, for a long time, and I, and I go back. I was texting with a buddy yesterday about you know how naive I was in the early days of my political existence and understanding and trying to, to better, you know, equate this to that. And what does this mean? And what did, what did that mean? I mean, it, it, was, I mean, it was a little bit, uh, I mean, there's no way anybody would have said publicly, I question the Warren Commission. I question, um, you know, whether or not Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I mean, that was kind of the, that was the status quo answer. And if you didn't want to be laughed at or ridiculed or kicked out of the country club, you kind of had to go along with that. But but then all of a sudden you start thinking to yourself. I mean, if you're any sort of thinker, and you're and you you know you're you're comfortable going down the road less traveled, then Josh, you got to kind of say, I don't know, man. It was a bolt action rifle, and the car was moving, and it was going away from him. man. You know, we lay, and then Jack Ruby killed him, and I mean, there's just so many things as part of the plot that that lead you to believe. I don't know, man. Maybe they're not telling me the truth. And I think Trump has ushered in an era of people like Josh and I and Anthony and others being more comfortable and less worried about getting kicked out of the country club. Um, I don't know how many times this has happened to me recently, and I'm talking about post-Trump. When you sit down with someone and you consider them to be sane and mild-mannered and they consider you to be somewhat sane and mild-mannered, I mean, you're not a nut, they're not a nut. I mean, there's always been nuts on the left. There's always been nuts on the right. Guess what? There'll always be nuts on the left. There'll always be nuts on the right. But my world doesn't consist of a lot of nuts. I mean, it's reasonable people living reasonable lives in practical fashion. But you'll ask a question, Josh, like January 6th, and you'll kind of nervously say, hey, you think there might have been some law enforcement involved in that? You think there, I mean, I'm not saying it's an insider job, but do you think there could have been some coordination with, with, with the government? And, and, your, and your very reasonable friend will say, of course there was. I mean, how do you not believe that? I mean, you, you, you think the government didn't see an opportunity to take advantage of bad behavior? Of course they did. And I just think 20 years ago, that question would have never gotten answered. I mean, that friend would have been nervous about, Can may go back and tell my members of the country club what I think about January 6th. We're a bit more liberated. Is it good or bad? I think it's good. Because I think government that asks for all this power has to deal with conspiracy theories about its actions. And uh, and is it of good intent or is there some malice? Take a break. Back in a few.
3: It's time now for the Wake Up Carolina whiner line, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. Call 803-720-5260. So, what are you whining about today? Beep. I think that judging from what I see across the nation, when we look at a candidate, we ought to look for a candidate with strong religious beliefs in God. I think they need to look at the character of that person and, again, look to make sure that that person
0: is a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, I ask a question because, I mean, as, as a person of faith, my faith has to be integrated in every facet of my life. But I asked Josh a couple of weeks back, and and I mean this sincerely. I think this is something for people of faith to ponder. And maybe I'm scarred by my time in politics. But, Josh, I'll ask you a question again. Would you rather have a very smart, competent atheist or a dumb, incompetent Christian running the country?
2: Um... I, I'd say a Christian, but it does—it depends on what they can do.
0: It's a fair question.
2: It's case right? by case. I mean, yeah.
0: it, it's a very fair question. I mean, you know, if, if we're leading a spiritual revival, and we need a spiritual rejuvenation, I believe that. I mean, I do believe that. But but when you ask the question in that kind of scope or con, context, I think it's a very interesting ponder uh, that we can all involve ourselves. In other words, you've got a really smart, competent able atheist you've got a real incompetent not so smart man of God woman of God who would you rather execute the functions of the executive branch of the largest federal government man has ever known a dumb guy who believes that God in heaven has all this under control or a really smart guy who says I've got to fix all these things that need fixing uh, because God's not going to do it because in essence he doesn't believe there's a God in heaven anyway i mean it, it's a it's a complicated ordeal but one i think we should all challenge ourselves with
8: january sixth was a setup of course a lot of people don't realize that why don't they think about why the democrat party and the democrats in the house destroyed information They destroyed it in order not to turn it over to the Republicans when they gained the house.
0: Why does January 6th have to be either a setup or an insurrection? I mean, most people say it's an insurrection. No, it was a setup. I I would argue there's a little bit of a lot in there. I mean, I, I, I don't think by any measure it was an insurrection, But I also don't believe, as much as I'd like to believe, it was a complete and total setup. I mean, I don't buy that. Um, It was a group of people who believed in a certain narrative and acted upon their belief in that certain narrative, and some got unbelievably reckless and irresponsible and did things they shouldn't have done. And I'm not talking about the over-prosecution. I mean, I do believe that some of these people were made um, examples of. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. But I think when you talk about January 6th in its totality and you believe it was either a setup or an insurrection, you're not including so many facets of that day, questions we don't have answers to. There's never been an honest evaluation or investigation about who did what, why, when, where, how, how enabling was the government. How willing were the participants? Um, I, I just think we got to be careful and say it's either or. Some of these big moments in American history, I mean, they're far more complicated than to say, I'm sure it was this or I'm sure it was all that.
3: You've been listening to the Wake Up Carolina Winer Line, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. You got something you want to whine about? Call anytime, 803-720-5260. It's the official and the original Wake Up Carolina Winer
0: Line. You know, I want to go back to a couple of things we began today's show with. I'm not talking about NIL and college football, but the beginning of our political discussion. I mean, I, I made some notes to myself last night And this morning, and two things I wrote down here, I mean, I went back and read section three of the 14th Amendment. Um, I do believe that this is a federal issue. This is a federal question. I predict the Supreme Court will rule in Trump's favor. Um, If you argue that states conduct our elections, there is the Reynolds Sims case that basically said if a state wants to have one senator per county it, 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 it violates the Constitution of one man, one vote. So the Sims versus Reynolds case, in my opinion, established precedent and the federal court can interpret Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The other is my handwritten note to myself last night. The Democrat Party has stated a claim to permanent control of the federal government regardless regardless of the will of the people. To me, that's the narrative, Josh. That's the political win. That the Democrats are so obsessed with being in control of the federal government that when they don't believe they can beat you, they'll try and figure out a way to not even have to compete with you. That, to me, is where I would sell the Republican narrative or the Trump narrative to the American people. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, that really and truly... That the Democrat Party in Colorado was so obsessed with stopping Trump from winning the presidency, they're willing to misinterpret statutes and laws and, and constitutional authority. And that'll be corrected. I mean, maybe, um, m- maybe Justice Jackson, the newly added Justice Jackson, I mean, she's had some wacko Majacomo opinions. Maybe she has another um, and kind of sides with the, um, the Colorado decision. But, but I think the main takeaway here. Is the 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 legal theorizing, and and I understand legal theories. I understand legal um, karate, Uh, jiu-jitsu. I mean, I I get all (laughs) that. I mean, I understand you can tie yourself in knots. You can make the courts a twister board. And you know how do you get there from here? I don't know, but we can. We got to. We got to stop Trump. Um, But they're convicting a man of a crime that he's never been charged with. That there is not a single charge brought against Donald Trump that says he incited an insurrection. I mean, there's been a lot of political narrative and commentary that he incited an insurrection, but when it came down to charge him, I mean, there are a lot of issues about election interference. I mean, there are a lot of charges about him misrepresenting the property of value or the value of properties and, you know, whether he misheard classified information, whether he obstructed justice. I mean, there are a lot of debates that we'll have eventually about what he did or did not do there. He's been charged with those. But there are legal documentations of, of a court saying, hey, I think he did this. When they had a chance to charge Donald Trump with inciting an insurrection, you know what they did, Josh? Well, they do. They didn't. Hmm. They didn't. Do you believe they cut him a break because they just felt it was the right thing to do? Nope. Or do you believe they didn't believe they had a case? They didn't have a case. So out of thin air, The Colorado Supreme Court says, we're going to convict this man of a crime that he's never been charged with. Wow. That's a different day in America, and we live in a different era of American politics. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.